is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and nothing could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, here we go, everybody. Welcome to episode number 209 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, December the 23rd, 2023. My name is Jeremy Lee. I would like to thank everybody who tuned in last time for our episode with Mr. Aton Shapiro, also known as the Sports Card Cartel. That was a fun episode. You can watch that on the YouTube channel. Next Saturday, our guest is former LEAF CEO, Brian Gray. He joins the show once again, and we will look back on 2023 and the year ahead and hear about what's going on with him. Tomorrow night, special co-host Ryan Lewis subs in for Josh Madigan of the Hockey Cards Gong Show for our weekly PWCC Hockey Auction Watch Party. That is a special Christmas Eve episode. And Monday, there is no MC Mondays Live. We will resume MC Mondays Live on New Year's Day. I'd like to ask you to join close to half a million people who have downloaded the Center Stage app across both iOS and Android for quick comps and card management features. Their app is the fastest and most accurate at card shows or at home to help you price your cards, build, organize, share your collection with your friends and find other collectors to follow using their social sharing features. Marketplace features are coming soon. So check out their Instagram account and join me in supporting the great team they have and the innovation they are undertaking. Also, use protection, practice safe swaps. Veriswap is an app and middleman service that lets you trade cards securely through the mail. Every transaction up to a million dollars in value is fully insured by their guarantee. You can check them out on iOS and Android. Veriswap is now live in Canada and will be opening a Canadian hub soon. They're offering $50 in free trade credit to anybody who adds 10 cards to their account, 10 hockey cards to their account. There's a referral link in the video description, join me and Veriswap founder Raymond Lee for our bi-weekly Tuesday night Veriswap trade desk on Instagram Live. Those are fun little 10-minute episodes we do on Instagram Live. I want to shout out HobbyNewsDaily.com for your daily dose of hobby information. And also Leighton Sheldon and Just Collect. Leighton will be giving away two prizes tonight of $250 of eBay store credit for his Just Collect ebay store you have to be here watching on youtube in order to enter through the Streamyard giveaway tool also you can now buy sell and trade well buy and buy and sell tag graded cards on com c and you can join tag gradings discord server and facebook group links to both are in the taggrading.com website tags new tag x 12 dollars grading service is a game changer and pokemon and other rounded corner tcgs are now eligible for grading by tag. All right, I want to thank all our partners, sponsors, and of course, you loyal viewers and listeners for your ongoing support. If you're not yet subscribed to the channel or the podcast, please take a moment and do so. And I would also like to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. And as always, your comments and your questions are in play tonight, so let's get to it. Tonight's guest started in the hobby in 1990 buying Upper Deck Hockey, and he dabbled until he was sucked back into the hobby in 2005 when his friend brought him a box of Upper Deck Ice and he discovered patch cards. He went all in on Upper Deck the Cup and Exquisite with an eye for Ovechkin, Crosby, and LeBron James cards. He slowed down a couple times but was brought back in for specific rookie classes 
like 2013 Nathan McKinnon and 2015 Connor McDavid. And he has a strong passion for F1 cards and has come full circle with his collecting pursuits. His favorite players of all time are Gretzky, Crosby, Ovechkin, Kobe, Jordan, and Lewis Hamilton. And his favorite team is the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's originally from Hong Kong and currently hailing from Vancouver, British Columbia. Let's bring him out. Steve Ho, welcome to Sports Cards Live. Welcome back to Sports Cards Live, pal. How are you today? Very good, thank you, Jeremy. Uh, just nice to be back and uh, nice to see you and uh, see your show grow as well. Well, it's uh, it is nice to have you back. We go, you and I go way back. Like we go back twenty years. I maybe just short of twenty years. And um, you know, there, I have a. I'm going to start with 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 the. Listen, I, I knew you before this, otherwise I wouldn't have been there, but this is probably the earliest really vivid memory I have of you. And this goes back to the Sport Card Expo in Toronto. It must have been fall 2006, I'm guessing, November 2006. So what's that? That's already 16 years ago right there. And you were opening up a case of the inaugural issue of Upper Decks the Cup at the Upper Deck booth. And my my vendor booth was like right at right across from it. So all I had to do was take a few steps to come and watch you open it. We knew each other. And like there was a huge crowd around you, Steve, a huge crowd because it was the cup. It was a new product and the double rookie year. And you managed to pull a Sidney Crosby RPA from that case. Take me back to that moment. Take us back to that moment. What was that like for you? What is now 16 years ago? Wow, that, that was a pretty crazy moment, Jeremy. So actually, I didn't even, I bought that case of the cup um, from someone at the show. So I didn't bring it with me. It wasn't intended. And uh, people kept asking, uh, you know, was it for an investment or was it, uh, you know, for, for were you going to break it sometime? And I just said, now is as good of a time as any. And that was the first time I think I met Carvin Chung in person as well, too. And uh, I think when I was lugging this thing around, I said, well, why don't we just go do it now at the upper deck booth. And uh, as I think we were, we just, it was pretty ad hoc, but definitely not planned. And as we started opening it, um, more and more people gathered around and uh, there was, you know, some good buzz and everything else. And it was a, a fantastic time. Uh, just opening product like that was, uh, uh, you know, having a chance, 0506 cup again, was the first one that really hooked me. Um, I'm not usually a breaker, but I do break on very specific years. If it's the first of something, um, you know, I'll go pretty deep on it. Um, and uh, that was one of those products where every time that I opened it, it felt so special. And every card that you, even if you just had a base card that was 130 point, the, the sheer weight of these things were really, really neat just out of the box. So, and I think I remembered uh, pulling, uh, you know, pulling that Crosby was pretty surprising to me because if you notice, it, you notice uh, as a hobby veteran, you know, small little things where if you see the darker RPAs in that year, they 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 were level twos out of 199. They were a little bit darker, but when you had the lighter edges, those were it was Crosby, Ovechkin, and Fanuf that were the out of 99s. And I did see that. I saw the black patch, and I was like, oh, they're you know this could be pretty interesting. I saw a little bit of that Pittsburgh yellow, and you know there there it was. It was a beautiful two color and uh, things that uh, you know well, we can get into this, but things that I do regret. I have so much sentimental value for cards that I actually pulled, I'd be very happy to go reacquire that card. And because uh, it's all the memories that really are associated with that, but couldn't have been any better. I mean, it was just unexpected and it was the best possible outcome. 
And uh, yeah, I remembered even the people cheering all around and all that as well too. So it was a, it was all really good except the person that sold me the case was was a little bit not not that happy. But that was it. <laughs> too bad for them. I mean, they sold you the case. Uh, after that, it's it's your case, right? So I'm sure go. they they, ma they managed to get over it. Do you have any idea where that particular Crosby Cup RPA resides right now? I do not. And, you know, through the power of your show and, and social media, if someone could find it, that would be pretty cool. It was a barely two colored. It was a, you know, just a very small piece of yellow on a black patch on the bottom, uh, uh, on the bottom of the patch window there. Uh, that's all I remembered. But, uh, and I think it was 50 something. I think I have some image of it somewhere, but uh, not well saved, but uh, no, but it was, a, it, it, it was just a really nice sentimental uh, card that I really shouldn't have ever, uh, you know, you can call it upgrading to a three color, et cetera. But uh yeah, that's what I would have just kept. Yeah, no, no doubt. It was uh I, I remember it so well, and uh it was so much that was a, that was really fun. It's crazy how you know, like you're somebody I've known for a really long time in, in in our hobby, uh, really from you know, back to the maybe the late Beckett message board days mm -hmm. and, and and from there. And it's interesting how you know there are lots of people who remain in the hobby, but there are people come and go over the years, and you know, I think we're seeing in the past few years. A lot of people come and go, but people who are truly passionate about about sports cards and collecting and the community, they manage to stick around. Even if you go, even if you take breaks here and there, you're likely to come back. And that that explains a bit of your experience. I want you to. I mentioned in the intro that your friend bought you a box of early Upper Deck Ice, and you pulled a patch card, and that was your first time seeing one of these things. Nowadays, patch cards, you know, we're used to them. They're 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 not surprising. Mm -hmm. We're conditioned just to, 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 they're normal now. What was it like if you can be, because even for people who have come into the hobby in the last 10 years, let's say, they probably, mm -hmm. they found out about them, but you pulled one and saw it for the first time after collecting, you know, for on and off for the 15 years leading up to that. Tell us about how you felt, what, what it did in your, in your mind when you saw that first patch card. Yeah, so uh, Upper Deck Ice 0506. So that was a Crosby and Ovechkin year as well. And I didn't even know like the base, the base cards of these ice cards, I'll say they're about 55 point on the thickness. So even those cards alone for me, I was just used to, you know, 9091 Upper Deck, which is just your regular uh, 30 point cards that, uh, that, that come out. So I was used to those thickness. And I think just the feel of that, and uh, they had the acetate cards as well too, so that was new for me to go see. And then uh, I think when we hit the patch card itself, it just felt really weighty. Um, it's probably the best word that, that I used for it. And we did a slow reveal as well. And uh, I remembered very well because we're like, oh, wow, it looks like it's got Pittsburgh colors on it and everything looked great. And it was the, the Maxime Talbot instead of the Sidney Crosby yeah. out of 35, you know, single black patch. But I kept on looking at this card like with a, and again, this prior to that, it was just you know regular thickness. Ninety ninety one uh, upper deck was what I was used to, so I didn't know anything like this could was even possible. Didn't read the odds. Didn't you know this was just a leisurely hey, let's have a nostalgia old time you know nice birthday present from a friend that that I used to collect with, and you know that was the first time I got very curious and uh, holding this card and having those thick uh, magnet holders that that are very common nowadays. I didn't know what one of those things was. I, last time I collected was screw downs, um, you know, back from 1991 uh, and all that. So, yeah, it was really the, the presence of the card and the weight of it. It, it felt much more uh, substantial is probably the word I'd use versus anything else that I've ever pulled from, uh, you know, from pre previous packs I've opened. 
Right on, right on. We are streaming live to Instagram as well for the one of the first times we had a question. Dennis87 said, do you remember the player from ICE? And it was Maxim Talbot <laughs> right, right there. So thanks. Okay, so let's move on from 0506 Cup. You then go into 0607 and you are you are looking to acquire the, the, the Cup RPAs, the rookie patch autos of the big names that year, which were really, if you think back, it was of Jenny Malkin, who's still a, a great player. Uh, Jordan Stahl, Phil Kessel, uh, Radulov, a yep. couple of others in that cool. set. <laughs> you uh, you opened up some of this and you looked at them. And what did you discover for the first time uh, that, that you noticed? Yeah, so it was pretty interesting because I remember having that chat with uh, with Carvin about this as well, too, where uh, he was right. So when I one of my first cases that I ended up opening, I, I pulled the, the, the card everyone, the big chase card, which was the... Uh, the Malkin out of 99. It was a beautiful three-colored patch. Um, looked at it. I was really happy. Uh, everything was great with it. Um, wanted to go start my PC around him. Turned it around, and that's the first time I saw photo shoot. And that was the first time when I said photo shoot. I'm not sure how I... I remember feeling uneasy, a little bit of, oh, am I getting my money's worth? What is this? Versus when I pulled the very, you know, when I pulled um, and when I collected uh, Ovechkin and uh, Crosby RPAs the year prior, those were game used with a very strong certification in, in, in the back saying that they were game game used from those specific players and used in NHL games. Um, that was not the case. It was a photo shoot from a rookie photo shoot um, was what the Malkins and uh, everyone else in, the, in that product so there was no more game used memorabilia period. Uh, oh, sorry, for the rookies specifically for 06, 07 and onwards that I know of, except for limited logos and hockey. They started just after McKinnon year. So I guess 14, 15, uh, they started having that be a uh, game used. And were you, so learning that you said you felt uneasy, but were you still willing to collect those and, Perhaps, I mean, even the even the third year of the Cup, 07, 08, we had a big rookie class in Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, Carey Price. Uh, how how did you adjust, if at all, your hobby behavior moving forward based on that those those rookie cards no longer contained? Because the the Crosby and Ovechkin from 0506 did contain game used memorabilia, but after that they didn't, and there's logistical reasons why Upper Deck didn't and still doesn't do that, but. How did you adjust your behavior? Yeah, um, <laughs> it took me a while to go find my equilibrium, I'll say, as in uh, I probably bought a whole bunch of those, sold a whole bunch of those, and did it probably three or four times. Um, had a very love-hate relationship with a, with a lot of it. And in the end, I'm just very comfortable now not having any of them. Um, I'll keep, you know, for, for Malkin myself, uh, I keep one specific card as a Malkin collector, and I think that's his best card in the... Ultimate Collection uh, 0607 Ultimate uh, Rookie Shield Auto Shield, so I keep that. And then same for you know as a Patrick Kane collector, uh, finding the the same version, but uh, 0708 Ultimate uh, Auto Rookie Shield um, of of Kane. Those are both of those are still photo shoot, but for me they they had those were the most substantial cards that were produced uh, for the rookie year. And have you been sort of keeping up over the years since 0607 with how the language on the back of the card, how the the certificate, I call them the certification on the back of the card, how the language has evolved in describing what that memorabilia on the front of the card is. Or have you been watching that over the years? Yeah, so it's, a, it's an interesting conversation because 
I think as I think your show's done a great job just bringing that up to light. I know it's something that you care uh, very dearly about. I'd say interesting because if you take a look at market and market pricing for specific cards, um, you know, I think Carvin was right when Carvin said when the RPAs are going to be the chase card, if they're game used or if they're not, it's not going to go change that being uh, the RPA itself. Um, and, uh, you know, if they're going, if Upper Deck at that time was to go spend more dollars, at, be able to spend more dollars on other parts of the product, um, it did make sense. So I understood it from, uh, from that point of view. But uh, yeah, I have been following that language. And sadly, that language has gotten looser and looser. It looks like uh, the lawyers are, are certainly getting their, their hands into it that way. Um, I think there's documented cases of, you know, wrong, wrong patches, um, you know, incorrect patches that don't match, etc. But uh, I can see it from the legal point of view. But as a collector and as a hobbyist, um, it's it's sad to see. Um, I think I, I, I might have mentioned I was I was considering chasing a 2021 uh, National Treasures basketball, uh, a, a larger rookie card. And when I kind of looked at the back of that certification and it was just pretty much it looked like a full disclosure agreement of of. This has not no it, any event. It's not tied to any event, any game, any player. And it was wow, like that's that just seems like a yeah, that that just seemed like a it, it, it seemed like a raw deal, uh, you know, as someone that wanted to go buy that card. And if I was to go break product like like uh, on the pricing of National Treasures, I would expect more. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that there have been mistakes, and mistakes are going to be made. But you know, mm-hmm. as a collector, as a a hobbyist, a lifelong hobbyist and want to continue being one. To me, Steve, I would rather that the backs of the cards did a better job of explaining what was on the front in light of their, we know that like, I, I would prefer that they didn't go so vague. If the reason they're so vague is because they're afraid that there are going to be mistakes where the wrong, you know, a patch ends up in a card that is not obviously not for that player. It's not even from that player's team. That's going to happen. I'm willing to give them a pass on that, you know, here and there. If, you know, if, if you just kind of look at the error rates or that, that companies have in tech, like, you know, even five, per, if whatever is acceptable in other industries, I don't know if it's 1%, 5%, probably not five, but if it's 1% for every iPhone that's made isn't going to work or 1% of this or that, I would be willing to overlook some issues, but I would, I would do that in exchange for better language on the back of the cards, I also would like to know, because the back of the cards say certified to us as being, I'd like to know who they're certified by certified to us by fill in the blank as being, that would give me comfort. What do you think of that idea? And listen, uh, it's not like they're going to just, they're just going to implement this listening to this podcast, but I think it's worthy of discussion. What do you think? I think so. Um, you know, this is this is a strange because I, I would believe that you and I are in the minority on how much value we place on that specifically. Because when I start taking a look at the market for some very significant cards, I'm not sure that I'm, if people are paying what they're paying and looking at the backs of those cards, I would say, you know, on a business front, if I was a card company, I wouldn't change it because it uh, looks like everything's fine from a, from a secondary market point of view. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I want it to change, but just trying to be practical here as a, as I am, as a, as a person, I, if I were the card company, I don't see, it's not a big enough problem. They, they have bigger problems than that. Yeah. Well, right now it isn't a big enough problem, but you never know mm-hmm. what the future holds as collectors demand more clarity and transparency on what it is that they're putting, you know, these car, to buy this product, these products are not cheap. And if you're putting big money in, you want to kind of, you want to kind of know what you're getting, I think. 
uh, I wanted to talk to you also about the limited logos. I know you were, you were really into the limited logos from 0506, but first, let's just go and say hello. We haven't gone to the, to the comments mm-hmm. yet. I want to say hi to Mark Santucci, Jake Dahl, Stephen, what's going on? Happy holidays to you. Mike Double V, happy holidays to you. Terry Fortune okay. says should be a good show. Where has Stephen been hiding? He comes, he comes and goes. Hey, Tim, how are you? <laughs> Bill, the loud collector. Merry Christmas. What's going on? B. Cox, welcome to the show. Jeff McMahon, R.B., good to see you. Merry Christmas. Al G., happy holidays. Season's best. Daniel, Justin Boat is here. Papa Jim, Merry Christmas to you. Todd McDonald, good evening. Thank you for consuming this content for, for the year, and I look forward to having you back next year. Uh, didn't forget about Leighton Sheldon's giveaway. You have to be here watching. Leighton will join us in about 10 minutes uh, for the vintage for the vintage spotlight segment. And we will be doing two giveaways for $250 each. Store credit to his eBay store. Uh, you know, you can either use it to buy something or to knock down the price on something you want. Pretty uh generous of him. He's in the holiday spirit. Studio Sports, what's going on? Robert Scott, Orlando from a collector's dream. Good to see ya. Good to see you. Foul five ball. Jeremy, good to see you. Terry says it's pretty deep. It's understatement. Stephen and Mark used to bust pallets of the cup. Uh, do you want to let us know what, what Terry's referring to here? Sure. Uh, that was, yeah, that's a, that's a good long time ago, Terry. And I think I actually remembered. I may be wrong, but I don't think I am. So I, I may mention that uh, you did have one of those 0506 um out of 99s, uh, wasn't a Crosby, wasn't a Fanuf, uh, BGS 95 that I think uh, we did a deal on, uh, you know, many, many, many years ago. I might be wrong on that. I don't think so. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think for breaking wise, I think 0506 was uh, probably ended up doing 30 plus six tin cases um, myself. And I had loose boxes and three tin cases kind of spread out on top of that. Um, but I think it was, it was all Mark's product, but it was pretty much on a 06, 07. We kind of split. I did about 10 and then I stopped after the photo shoot bit uh, cases. Didn't really crack anything there until 15, 16. And then that was, yeah, that must have been 80 plus cases of uh, 610 for uh, my David year. Um, yeah, that was, uh, that was quite something else. And um, yeah, and then I think uh, after that was just F1 for me on uh, 2020 uh, Dynasty. Uh, you know, those were, the, those were the big breaks for me. 80 cases of the cup, you guys. That would be quite the experience. And how long does it take to break 80 cases of the cup? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's funny because it's, uh, everyone's, everyone's different. I like to go take my time with even like, you know, the small cards. I, you know where the hits are going to be and it's pretty systematic after a little while. But, uh, you know, wow, it was, uh, you know, we would spread it out over a couple of days here and there. And it was, you know, sometimes it'd be like, how do you how do you sleep? What else is inside the cases? You might kind of sneak one or two cases before you kind of go again the next day. But you know, this is all the all the passion and fun of just being a little kid and just seeing, you know, what's it what's in the box, <laughs> and uh, just you know. But it is it is it is really quite something when I'm you know as a, uh, I like my numbers as well too. But I remember doing various spreadsheets, thinking that that was probably a big enough. Uh, subset on uh you know on sample size just to go see how many limited logos we would get how many you know during that year i remember we pulled more more we had about i think it was seven mcdavid's uh, uh rpas uh, exquisite and the cup and i think we had four exquisites even though they were out of 97 versus uh three of the cup 
And, you know, it was, we definitely did extremely well for, for that. Um, we didn't, I'm going to forget the other, um, Eichel, we didn't have too much, but we had zero of Panarin. That was the other 99. We, we didn't have one Panarin out of all, out of all that. So, you know, but when you start lumping together just out of our, like level one out of 99s and all that, I think you, we might've started getting enough, you know, kind of, a uh, probabilities on what you're really going to get inside the, inside the cup. So here's a little story for you. You guys cracked what I say, 80 cases of that product. I didn't break any of it, but I did go into a one pack group break at the local, at a local card shop here in Calgary, mm -hmm. uh, where we, where the, this, the store owner basically sold 30 spots, whatever we paid 10, 20 bucks a spot. Maybe I don't remember what it was probably 20 bucks a spot for $600 for the total, the total one pack, one six card pack. And, you would put your hand into the bag to pull out your teams randomly. He had those little mini coffee mugs, like those little coffee mugs with the team logos on them. And that would be your team. You had, you'd have this little plastic okay. coffee mug. Anyway, uh -huh. I managed to pull my three teams. One of them was the Edmonton Oilers. So he goes and he opens up the pack. And I managed to get the dual scripted swatches of Connor McDavid and Wayne Gretzky. Okay. One pack... <laughs> I have a. I bought three teams out of thirty, so I had a one in ten chance of getting the Oilers, and then our pack had a one in six chance of being the case hit pack, yep. and then that case hit had a one in whatever chance of being a big card like that. I got Amazing. so lucky. I Amazing. ended up winning that card, and then I guess I shared it on Hobby Insider or whatever. Your friend Mark caught wind of it, and after you and him broke those eighty cases or over hundred cases of of fifteen, sixteen, the cup. You guys didn't pull one one copy of that card, so he needed it, and I ended up uh, selling it to him. We did a, 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 okay, did a yeah. like a yeah. cat. I got some cards back from him as well, good, and good, uh, good. he bought that card from me for or you know bought traded for a value that is now probably you know ten percent of what it is of what it, what it is now, which is fine. That's what it was then. But uh, what luck I had on that night oh, at God. the uh, at Maple Leaf Sports <laughs> here in Calgary to uh, yeah. to get so lucky, and it's, it was just funny that you and Mark didn't pull that exact card. So I, uh, it wasn't a card for my PC at the time and I found a, a good home for it, but I thought that was kind of an interesting tie into your story. Yeah, very cool. So Michael Hathaway from MC sports cards as a proper F1 collecting legend, Mr. Fosh <laughs> looking forward to this. Michael, get to see you. Happy holidays. Adam Grace has loved this chat so far. Love the Crosby story. Adam, welcome to the show. Clay Phillips. What's going on? The professor is here as well. And we've got 90s hockey guy in the house joining us again as usual. Good to see you. Andrew Gogan, happy holidays to you. Les Edwards says, nice to put a face to the name, Mr. Fosh. Looking forward to this. Louie, who will be my special guest co-host tomorrow night on the PWCC Weekly Hockey Auction Watch Party. Colin Murray, what's going on? Brendan Ryan, Merry Christmas to you as well. All right. I wanted to, before we get off of the cup and stuff, I want to go back to the limited logos because you you were collecting them back in the day. You ended up deciding not to keep them. What happened with limited logos that you decided not to kind of PC them on a, on a long-term basis? So there were, there were two subsets specifically for the cup that were really tough for me, um, limited logos being the first one. So these were very this was the first time they did outsized uh patches uh really beautiful however there was an auto issue with the card itself so i think carvin and i have had a longer chat about that it's a, one of his frustrations because 
this set would be legendary if, if, if the autos would stay. However, through time, I think they, I, I don't know what the best way to call it is, but it's almost, if you were to sign something that was a little bit wet and the, and, and the liquid and the pen ink just kind of just started blobbing, the, the autos kind of did that over time. And even, um, even some of the redemptions and redemptions I had as well too, they didn't stay very well at all. So they were very, very tough to keep very well preserved. Um, so eventually those cards for me, as great as I had some pretty awesome copies of Crosby and Ovechkin, never ended up keeping, uh, any of them. Uh, yep. Those ones I definitely bought and sold enough times and uh, I loved the logos, but just the auto was so distracting to me, sadly, Ovis, especially during that year was very memorably, uh, never saw a good copy of that, that I wanted to keep for the long term. Um, so that was one set. And the other one was the emblems of endorsement that was out of 15. And for me, Wow, when I take a look at that's always a card that stays in my mind, and uh, you know things that could have been where that Crosby um, out of fifteen. I think I've had five or six of those copies in my life. I do not own one now. I'm not sad. It's kind of one of the first couple of years. I'm not sad about not owning one because that sticker auto for me. I just you know I I have gone through sticker autos. Uh, you know maybe maybe kind of yes no, and then I realize over the last couple you know yeah probably the last year. Uh, that was a really expensive lesson from a 2020 F1 Chrome, um, buying, buying the auto variation set of all of that and then uh, fire selling it two or three months after I realized it wasn't for me. Yeah, that was not that was not the best way of having a six digit loss, but that's what it was. And uh, I will remember, you know, no more stickers for me. Um, but yeah. yeah, sticker autos for me on on, on things uh, just realized just had to go through it enough. But yeah, they're not going to be something that I ever want to really care to chase in my uh in my main PC, although did pick up one recently, as much as I say that, but uh, that was, uh, as you see, you know, there, there are, there are going to be a couple of exceptions to the rules, but uh, yeah. um, Yeah. No, no stickers for me, uh, unless it's got to be really something pretty interesting. It's our prerogative to break our own hobby rules once in a while, as far as what we allow into our, into our PC. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I go the same way, Steve. I don't want sticker autos in my collection it also just provides an easy sort of boundary to put in place so that, okay, it's sticker. I just don't need to, to acquire it for my collection. But then I think to myself, well, what happens if the card companies go away from on card totally and only ever do sticker autos? Then where does that leave me as a collector? Do I only collect non, non-autograph cards or do I start welcoming sticker autos back into my collection? And if I do, then am I going to become looser as I go back in time to when there were on cards and now... So I don't know. I don't want to think about that happening. If it happens, I'll deal with it when that time comes. Uh, Triple V, Merry Christmas to you. Phil Daw says, very few limited logos are actually game used. Be very careful and read the back of every card. Um, he's talking about rookie limited logos. He clarifies right here. Thanks, Phil, and welcome to the show. Steve, I want to ask you about limited logos because this year, for the first time, the cup, the product that just came out a few days ago, for the first time ever, has limited logos that do not have autographs on them. And we have seen them before where, you know, where Leaf had signed a player to an exclusive, like really like uh, Jack Eichel. Right. But outside of that scenario, we we've never seen uh, an unautographed limited logo, at least that I'm aware of. So this year there are, there are limited logos that do not have autographs. And I think it's simply because Upper Deck doesn't have deals with those players, but they had some nice memorabilia and they wanted to make some cards. Um, so my personal thoughts are 
listen, it's not ideal. I know it rubs a lot of people the wrong way. They're they're saying, well, maybe just come up with a different subset. Don't call them limited logos. Call them something else. Or this is basically ultimate premium swatches or something like that. I think to, I'm a little bit more lenient. I think to myself, well, limited logos are about the logo. The packs are not about the the name doesn't really reference the autograph anyway, even though that's what they've been historically. Mm-hmm. I'm more lenient than many people. Just my approach. I don't hold anyone else. Uh, you know, I don't. I, I'm not upset with anybody who has the opposing view. I'm just more lenient. Where do you fall on that on that uh, particular Ooh. issue? I, I definitely know a few uh, hardcore limited logo, you know, set collectors, and I could not imagine how they would be feeling right now. I think they would feel extremely let down. They would feel that you know this the continu- changing that without the auto does change the set materially. Um, yeah, I, I, and maybe it's good that I'm not a set collector, but if I were a set collector, I I would I feel really let down by that. I think that is actually a really big negative thing unfortunately and I, I didn't know that so thanks for bringing that up to me but uh yeah I, I would if i were if i were them i'd like to go call it something else and just preserve the limited logos being uh what they are but i also understand your point of view when you are talking about limited logos anyone outside coming in will say well it's all about the logo and the patch but you know when you've started off the, the president being a uh, 0506 cup and you've had logos auto auto patch logos on card all the time every year until this year yeah, I'm not a fan of that. That's uh, that's not a good call, in my opinion. Yeah, it's uh, and listen, I don't know exactly why they make those decisions. I sh- I surely understand well, your perspective. Here, if you're a set collector, then my 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 response to that would be, well, take a year off. And I know that's not what people want to hear, or just don't collect the ones that don't have autographs on. See, here's a similar thing. As, as you know, I collect these cards, the Cup Base Patch Parallels, every year from from the from the 0506s that, that look like this all the way to, to modern stuff. And in about 2013 or 14, they started adding autographs. And all that did was drive up the price of these cards for me to collect. And I thought, I'm just not going to collect the, I'm just going to co- not collect the ones that have autographs. That, again, it allowed me to limit what I was collecting, save some money that way from buying these cards. And, mm-hmm. um, but I was okay with it. I didn't hold any angst. I didn't get mad at anybody. I just didn't collect the ones that didn't fit my set collecting. And maybe because I approach something similar this way, that's why I'm more lenient. But I definitely understand the position of the set collector who does limited logos every year into mm. completion. And they still, but in that case, still collect them, I think. I think you could still collect them. But again, that's just, uh, if they don't have autographs, you're going to get them for cheaper as well. So interesting interesting topic and and it, it is a crossroads for i think many people i know a lot of people have big issues with with this year's cup for that reason and here's another one i don't know if you're aware of steven Leighton sheldon will be joining us shortly uh another thing that they changed up this year steve is honorable numbers now they're not necessarily numbered to the player's jersey number they might be numbered to the amount of all-star game of all-star game appearances they were in or the year that they were drafted so Connor mcdavid is out of 15 for the year 2015 I like it. I think it's neat. I think it spices things up a bit. Yeah. But uh, other people, and I've I've had a lot of people. I've had about the same amount of people because I did a story post saying I like it. I think it's I think it's different. I like mixing it up. I've had about the same amount of people saying "What are you crazy?" to the same mm-hmm. amount of people saying "I like it too." Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? That one's tougher for me. Like I actually um, going back quickly to to your thought about just collecting um, limited logos that you like. 
I actually really like that. I think that's how people are going to find more peace. And again, we're not deciding here as, as the consumer, you know, the product's going to be the product. If you don't like it, walk away, don't waste any time thinking about it and get, get, get angry, et cetera. And just, uh, you know, if you like it, go do it. And I like that rule that you have for yourself, Jeremy. I like that. Um, going back to uh, your question um, on the numbers, I'm really picky about numbers. If there's something that I know that really, you know, gets me to go say, will I go, go all out for a card? Will I just kind of, you know, is it, what type of copy is this card? You know, if they're serial numbered, if there's something significant to the player, I care about that the most. If you mentioned because it's 2015 and that's why Connor McDavid is 15, that's a little bit too loose for me. That's not interesting enough. But uh, maybe if I uh, if I can bring up one card that someone mentioned that uh, we you and I are, I have to use this term for the first time, but card bros on, is we have an 05-06 Wayne Gretzky um, honor roll numbers, game used, LA Kings. It's just such a gorgeous card. Um, but that one's out of nine, and that's much less than 99 being his jersey number. But that card is one of my favorite cards that I have in my collection that I can just look on and on. It's just whole, everything is just beautiful with it. And that is okay for me because it's close enough to 99.9. There's something there that makes it okay, and it's significantly less. Um, but I think when you're talking, and uh, this is like number pieces for exquisite basketball, like uh, this is uh, what we're really talking about. Um, but I think when it gets down to the player's number and then you have the numbering that is cut out for that patch window as well too. And then if I don't, it's it would irk me quite a bit if I did see the serial number that didn't match, unless it was like they, at times they did some S, SPs and some SSPs that were significantly less, but to like 50 or 25 or even out of 15 and 10s that I've seen, um, that's kind of okay. But if you're putting it towards a specific year, I, I don't know, not quite strong enough for me, but I, I think I would differ towards, uh, I'd like I'd liked it the old way. Yeah. And a lot of people do. They want that. They want that consistency year mm -hmm. over year. Uh, the professor points out that Josh from the Hockey Cards Gong Show was talking to Billy Celio from Upper Deck. Uh, and Josh pointed out that the Cole Caulfield rookie patch was not player game worn, which Billy was not aware of that. Actually, the fact is they are player game. They are game worn, I believe. Player worn or game worn. I think game worn. But they got they literally got the copy on the back of the card was wrong versus what the patch was. Uh, Professor also says, interesting that the cup cards just released were hand-packed in North Carolina. They've been hand-packed in North Carolina uh, going back almost 20 years now. I, I was lucky to attend one of those cup packouts in North Carolina back in 2009. So I've been to that facility. I know what it looks like. And and um, that's where they have been doing that. Uh, really, that's there's an upper deck facility there. Okay. All right, Steve. Leighton Sheldon has joined us for the Vintage Spotlight segment. I'm going to bring him on in just a second. But everybody needs to understand that. If you want to win, you want a chance to win one of Layton's two $250 store credit giveaway, store credit for his eBay store, Just Collect. You need to be here on YouTube watching this. You can't be on Facebook. You can't be on LinkedIn, Twitter, Twitch, or Instagram. You have to be here on YouTube. So come over to YouTube if you're on any of those other platforms right now. Let's bring out Layton, and we're going to do what we always do on the, on the Vintage Spotlight segment. We're going to start with, Steve has a question for Leighton. Leighton has a question for Steve. We'll talk about some topics, and then we'll do the giveaways. Leighton, there he is. Welcome back, buddy. How are you? Happy holidays to you and your family. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. What a great time of year. It is. And I want to introduce you to Steve. This is Steve. Steve, this is Leighton. Say hi, guys. Pleasure to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. All right. So let's jump into it. Uh, Steve, did you manage to come with a question 
for Layton, who is a he is a baseball card vintage treasure hunter. He has his podcast trading card therapy, which has its 50th episode coming up by the end of the year. Layton, more giveaways on your podcast. I saw that on Instagram today as well. Everybody, make sure you're following Layton. He's a great supporter of this show. He's a great hobbyist, a great ambassador to the hobby. Follow him on Instagram at Layton underscore Sheldon and at just underscore collect. Now let's get on with it. Steve, what kind of question did you bring for Mr. Layton Sheldon, please? I'm going to read it because it's it's prepared, but it's one I've given some real thought to and uh, also thinking about myself as a more of a um, uh, focused on the modern collection and also one big reason where vintage has has me a little bit uh, more tepid. So with that, uh, my question is, with the proliferation of AI, I think the authenticity and provenance will be ch increasingly more challenged for vintage cards over modern cards. So is this a concern for vintage collectors? And if it is, how best how best can vintage collectors defend its their cards' integrity to keep long-term value intact? Well, Steve, it's probably the most intricate question I, I think I've ever received on Sports Card Live. So you really put me to the test here at the end of the year. Um, but you know, the joking aside, it's a great question. Um, you know, I thought about AI a lot. And I mean, listen, this is only one man's opinion, you know, in my humble opinion. But I think AI is really going to do a lot for vintage. Uh, and the reason being, Steve, is that, you know, these cards were made with so many different variances back when, candidly, you know, no one really was producing cards for value. They were actually produced to market many other things besides the actual cards themselves. Uh, and so I think that AI is going to bring some intelligence to the field where, hey, listen, do I think I have some intelligence with all my experience? Yes, but I'm only one person and only what can fit my brain, right? That, that's it. And so as far as AI, I think it's going to bring some standardization, Steve, uh, hmm. to vintage. And listen, there's going to be, right, some people who will argue against, for example, maybe the centering uh, that's determined by AI will be just ever so slightly off. And I'm just making it up, of course. I don't think that's going to be the case. But I do think it's going to bring some standardized, um, I guess, data to the vintage field. And as far as authenticity, maybe this is just way out there. But I feel like right now there are still some people who can't necessarily tell or determine if a card, a vintage card for that matter, is real or authentic. And I, I have to believe, Steve, that AI is going to do a long, is going to go a long way to solve that. Because you're talking about black and white, meaning it's real or not. I got to think that computers are going to help us there. So I think net net, although there is some things to be, if you will, concerned about, I think net net that AI will actually be a positive for vintage cards as, as far as grading, authentication. Um, and then you did talk about some provenance. I think provenance in general is actually, um, I guess, underrated as far as vintage and even modern cards go. I myself, if I was pulling or buying a you know expensive Luca, I'd want to know where it came from. Just like if I was buying an expensive mantle, I personally would love to know that it belonged to Joe Smith, who used to live at one two three you know Main Street in Brooklyn. But you know that's just me. I hope I did a good job of answering your question for you, Steve. 
You did. I, I thought that was that was really great. I definitely agree with the grading side. And uh, I'm looking at Jeremy's shirt and uh, and speaking with Steve and uh, and uh, some of the people over at Tag as well too. That definitely, uh, you know, I, I can see great things that are uh, that are hopefully coming down uh, that AI will solve on on the grading side for consistency. I think more of my more of my concerns is less of when you know that something is real and more about AI in the way that. You know the, how good fake imaging can be. Um, you know other people saying that they own your card, things like things like that. That are you know I hate to go bring up, but the more negative side of the uh, of the hobby of uh, you know uh, kind of everything else that way. But I I, I love the answer though, uh, uh, Leighton. I appreciate it. I well, see you. Uh, sorry, Jeremy. Uh, I just wanted to say this. See, you asked a great question. So I have a lot of people who contact me. It's unfortunate every week. Fake fifty-two mantles. Reprints of the T206 Eddie Plank. Of course, God knows how many T206 Honus Wagners I see on an annual basis that are not real. But when you're talking about AI, Steve, I actually think it's going to be able to bring a standardization and be able to explain to these folks, you know, the dot matrix in the background of your Eddie Plank is clearly fake because of X, mm -hmm. Y, and Z. And so mm -hmm. I do think it's going to actually be extremely advantageous in terms of telling people if their cards are simply real, i.e. black and white, you know, is, yeah. is it real or not? I like that. Thank you, Leah. I got a couple of things I want, I want to jump in with. Really, really great stuff. Uh, great question, Steve Layton. Great, great answer. Uh, first thing, you mentioned provenance. I just want to tell a very quick story. I recently sold a card to a fellow, a fellow collector via Instagram. And at the very end of the negotiation, he said to me, where did you get the card? And I said, well, I got it at the Edmonton Expo from, from so-and-so. So he said, I said, why? He said, I want to know if there's any video of it being broken out of the pack so I can verify that it's authentic. He wanted provenance on it. So I reached out to the guy. I remembered who I bought it from. And he said, and he was a breaker, but he unfortunately wasn't the person who pulled it. He And he didn't remember where he got it from. So I couldn't give, but the buyer still went through and took the card from me. Beautiful card. But that just shows how provenance is something that more and more people are mindful of and are going to be looking for. So that's one thing that breakers are one one of the values that breaking is on on video is bringing to the hobby is providing that provenance and it's it's a it's pretty important i think we also talked a bit about ai here so i want to clarify for anybody who doesn't know that tag is often thought of as ai grading but it's not tag is not ai tag is is automated grading technically speaking so i i can't speak to ai grading but i also want to mention uh, that I just listened to a podcast the other day where Mike Moynihan was interviewing Nat Turner of PSA, President, CEO, whatever his title is. And he mentioned that they are using AI now at PSA, but they're not using it to grade. They're using it to identify counterfeit cards. And that's where I think it's going to provide a great value. And I'm happy to hear that PSA being the leader in vintage grading is doing that because there are so many counterfeits going around. I'm sure you all have heard this the 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 statistic that they recently you know turned down like whatever 20% of Jordan 86 Fleer submitted were identified as fake by PSA, which is it's great that they're identifying them, but you know, and then I, my mind goes, well, how many did they miss out of those? Did they miss, if any, just wondering? But I'm glad to hear that they're utilizing AI in that way to identify fake cards. Um Okay, those were my thoughts on any follow-up to any of that before we ask Leighton to uh, to approach Steve with or to, to deliver his question or topic to Steve. Any any response, guys? 
No? Okay. So, Leighton, did you come? Any question or, or comments for Steve uh, based on what we've got so far? I, I do, uh, but it's actually unrelated to cards because, you you know, you guys were kind enough to kind of copy me on the emails. And so, Steve, from what I can tell, it seems like you collect a lot of different things. <laughs> I do. And so <laughs> I'm curious what, you know, if it's recent, if it's older, so be it, but not card related. Mm-hmm. What collectible, when you first laid eyes on it, were you like, OMG, this is unbelievable. I've got to own either that or I've got to own an example of this. I'd love to know what stopped you in your tracks. And two things. I, I, I think um, I'll start off. Uh, other collections that I have that rank above cards for me are Cars, and uh, past was watches as well too, and then also uh, wine for me. Um, wine's taken a very big backseat to that, uh, all of that. So, uh, you know, behind cards now, say between cars and watches, I can't, I'm not going to be able to tell you which one was the first one, but they're such two big wants and watches has fallen also to the wayside for me, but cars has gotten stronger. So, um, but I, I'd say what, you know, it's one thing that Jeremy and I had talked about, you know, it's not just, you know, for watches, for me, I don't go to enough, I don't go into enough events. I, I, you know, I like the art of it more than the science of it, uh, to be honest. And, you know, it's probably a faux pas thing to say, but that's just how, that's what it is for me. Um, I think with uh, the cars has always been about driving passion and experience. And that's what that community there is so strong and so great. And that's what I never expected that to happen with cards uh, specifically, but it kind of happened again for me this year. And uh, I'd say since, you know, tops, tops 2020 F1, uh, you know, coming out um, really got me, you know, I think I got in and out of hockey because I just, I got everything I wanted and there was nothing else for me to chase. And then F1 came out and then through F1, I have met such amazing people reconnected with a, a lot of old, older friends, but a lot of new friends that are just, yeah, just like passions. They've gotten me, I don't know, maybe not a great thing, but they've got me some into vintage. Some have gotten me into basketball, modern and all these other things, but it was such a strong community where it's just building friendships and uh, just building great relationships and uh, opening up your mind to new things and new perspectives and just meeting, meeting awesome people with new backgrounds. So I think that's what the commonality for me, uh, Leighton, is it's probably cars or watches, but it was based on something that's passionate and a, some, a, a connection that you want to share with someone else. And um, yeah, like um, I think it's one of those two. I can't answer which one, Leighton. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you uh, share with me and, and, you know, listen, as, as myself, who's a fellow hobbyist and collector, I've started to dabble in comics and toys and listen, maybe one day Steven be successful enough to look at cars and get, you know, reacquire my dad's old Mustang. Um, but I do, I find it fascinating that, you know, sometimes we get so stuck, I guess, in our card lane that we forget about that the world is full of really some just amazing pieces of history, uh, fantastic collectibles and so you know when we crossed paths uh on tonight's show and jeremy kind of gave me a precursor uh i had done a little bit of research yeah i think it's amazing some of the different collectibles you're in and yeah candidly even though i don't necessarily know i'm going to start collecting them i love hearing about other people's passions and kind of what makes them stop in their tracks it's a great question Layton. really appreciate that made me think too all right, good stuff, guys. Thank you to both of you. Let's go to a few comments, and we're going to do uh, the giveaways. Uh, Jeremy M., good evening to you. Mike Petty says, 
yeah, Vin, the Vince Vaughn doppelganger talking vintage, my favorite <laughs> segment. Uh, Leighton's, Leighton's uh, similarness to uh, good old Vince Vaughn. Get Jake it all the time, Jeremy. Jake Dahl says, good evening. Louie says, I don't win anything, so good luck to the rest of you all tonight. Orlando vintage, likes the vintage talk. Justin Bode wishes you a Merry Christmas. Uh, Leighton, the professor, says, Jeremy mentioned he used ChatGPT and buying a card, thus he used he used generative AI and he's referring to I negotiated with somebody on a card about a week and a half ago and he's uh he's a francophone and English is not his first language so I used chat GPT to translate what I wanted so I could butter him up a little bit by speaking to him in his own language and I think it worked I think he was he was uh, I think I, I buttered him up enough to get him to get the deal done with me uh okay so we are going to do the giveaways. We have Leighton. Leighton, first of all, before we do them, I'd like you to just explain uh, what these are and maybe, uh, you know, what you're feeling right now at this time of year. Sure. Uh, so the first thing is we're giving away tonight on Jeremy's show, Sports Card Live. We're going to give away two $250, call them gift certificates or gift cards to my eBay store, just underscore collect. And what I think is really cool is you can use those particular gift cards to buy cards that are $250 or less. Or if you'd like to buy something that's a little bit more expensive, you can use it towards that. And the reason why I offered it is very simple. I'm just so appreciative and grateful to be doing something that I'm passionate about for a living. I do think the Jets have made a mistake. They should have asked me to be their quarterback. If you look at all these years later, they're still having problems. But that joking aside... Uh, I really do. I, I'm very grateful to uh, be in this hobby and to do this for a living. And so because I'm able to do this, I thought it would be nice to give away some vintage cards to the community. And actually, uh, Jeremy, I credit you because as we're sitting here and talking about this now, we were actually only going to give away a $500 gift certificate to one person. Credit to Jeremy for saying, you know, the more the merrier. So that is why we decided to divide it up and have a couple winners on tonight's show. And it's very simple. All you have to do is go to my eBay store, just underscore collect, choose the cards you're interested in, send me a DM on Instagram, or you can email me directly at Leighton, L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N, at justcollect.com, and I'll make sure we take care of you. All right. Well, thanks again, Leighton. Yeah, uh, it's, it's nice to uh, it's ni nice to split it up a little bit, a couple of winners. Orlando says Leighton Claus. Colin <laughs> says uh, Canadian. This will be U.S. dollars. Leighton is out of, is out of the U.S. Yes. All right. So here's what we're going to do. You are in order to win this, to win the first giveaway, you need to put something in, you need to put a comment in the chat. And I think Leighton, I, I, what I want to do, because this, I think we're going to use the word thankful ha You have to put hashtag thankful. So here you go right there. You can see, I'm going to start collecting comments. That's what you have to type into the chat. And if you put that into the chat starting right now, you will have a chance to win because once we have some entries, I will hit the draw button and then we will, the, the, the opportunity to win will be over. So write hashtag thankful and put it into the chat and let's, uh, let's give it, let's give it a minute or so here, Leighton and Steve. And, um, and in the meantime, uh, just, I'm curious, uh, Steve, any plans between now and new year's, any plans to travel? What's, Anything you want to share? What's going on with you and your family over the holidays here? 
Um, not too much. I think uh, heading over, uh, heading over to uh, sunnier Arizona and uh, and warmer Arizona, and then probably heading up to uh, Whistler for some skiing, and then uh, just uh, you know just some good good family time. Not too much planned, but uh, I think heading to the Suns and uh, Mavericks uh, game on Christmas Day, so that'll nice. be uh, fun to see. So yeah, yeah, not too much, not too much this year. Trying trying to do less. Very nice. Well, we only have 30 entries. We have over 90 people watching right now. So let's keep getting those uh, those entries in, guys. If you're a little behind, that'll just be too bad. But uh, hopefully we get uh, several more entries. Leighton, how about you? What's going on for the holidays? Well, my son is spending Christmas with his mother. And then my son's birthday, his ninth, in fact, is actually the day after Christmas. So I'm throwing him a birthday party, which we're very excited about. And then I don't know who uh, out there uh, that's listening to this is into EDM, uh, which is a certain kind of music, but a very, I guess, like famous international performer named Nora Impure is going to be in Brooklyn uh, next Friday, December 29th. And I've never seen her before. It's her first appearance ever in the U.S. So I'm going to go check her out with a friend of mine. Very nice. Very nice. Well, all right, guys, we are... Lots of people don't want to enter. That is fine. You do not have to. You do not have to. But, you know, this is, uh, it, it's 250 bucks USD that you can spend at the Just Collect uh, eBay store with no strings attached. So we are going, okay, some more entries are coming in right now. We're up to 38 entries. We've got 84 people with us right now. So let's see if we get one or two more. But we are going to be doing two draws. Welcome, everybody, to the show. And that's it. We're going to do the first one right now. Here we go. You can see it's going randomly. And our first winner is going to be Tyson Corner Cards. Congratulations, Tyson Corner Cards. You need to reach out to Layton, as he mentioned, either on Instagram or on email. His Instagram accounts are in the chat. You can also reach out to me if you need to if you don't get a hold of him anyway, and I will put you in touch with Layton. All right, we're going to do that again. We're going to do this again now. We're going to we're going to use a different uh, we're going to use a different hashtag this time. We're going to use just because I don't know if we can use the same one twice. We're going to use a different one. And um, Tyson, you're not eligible. Layton, what should that what should they have to write into the chat to win this one? Hobby love. Hobby love. Hobby love, one word, start collecting. You can all, if you didn't win, you have another shot, guys, at winning a second $250 gift certificate to the Just Collect eBay store. Get your entries in again. Hobby love. We love the hobby here on Sports. Steve, do you love the hobby? Do you love, love it? The <laughs> love the hobby. Love the hobby. Get your entries in, guys, and we will draw in a couple of minutes here. You know, I wanted to, uh, Steve. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you a question here, Layton. This is a pretty funny story. So, Steve, you've gotten to know Adam Gray as of late. Adam is my co-host on the the every the the PWCC Premier auction coverage one Thursday of every month. We just did it last Thursday, and um, tell us the story about that that one card that you you may have cost him a few extra dollars on. I don't know. Tell us that story, and then we'll do the draw. Sure. This is this was actually a really great story. Um, look, I, I think for for me, and this is me about about the hobby. I think I've always been about people first. So you know, I think Adam. I reached out to Adam because I've seen him on your show enough times, uh, Jeremy, and uh, you know, just seeing him as a 
a very enthusiastic, super knowledgeable uh, Kobe collector. And I was looking at that point for, you know, just one Kobe card to add to my collection, but one and done. Um, that was that was all I really wanted. Um, you know, I, I, I reached out to uh, Spinatron as well, too. He's been a, he's been an absolutely amazing person just guiding, guiding me along my uh, my basketball ways as well, too. And, uh, you know, through kind of both of them and, uh, you know, I started off uh, it kind of it was pretty intense with Adam when I reached out. It was wow. I know so much about this card. I'm like, wow. OK, you're confirming every single reason why this is exactly what I want to go on about. And then I think half an hour in of just a very furious back and forth uh, Instagram uh, uh, chats, um, you know, he said, oh, you know, I did actually might have wanted to make a play on this card at some time. And I kind of said, oh, well, you know what? You're, it didn't, in my opinion, feel fair. So I said, uh, hey, you've told me you're kind of educating the enemy, if you will, as in, uh, you know, the person that might be bidding against you. And, uh, you know, before I headed to, to dinner and uh, I did tell Adam, I said, look, I'm going to be good for my word. I don't do this with obviously there's just too much at stake at that point. But I gave him my exact number down to the strange single dollar of what I actually uh, my max bid for that card. And I saw it transact when I got back from dinner at fifty dollars higher than than my number. And I and I and and I'm glad that Adam also said that because I remember hearing him somewhere saying that uh, you know if if I didn't give it, you know I gave it out of to, out of respect to give him the option. Should he want to? That's the only reason I gave the number. And it was up to Adam. And I'm so so happy to go. It was tough seeing all the MC Mondays and everything else go through. You know the cards that he was <laughs> I remember a lot of big Harry Potter cards that he was going ooh you know that's tough and uh things like that but uh you know congratulations Adam it was just uh you know one of those cards for me that not you know I like things that are not really well known didn't have a lot a lot of notoriety I think there were what three was, copies of it what um, was the card what was the card so this was the first um Kobe Bryant uh NBA logo man um uh, logo mania one of one I'm gonna forget the exact uh, year as well but, yeah, well. the first autograph logo man, and there were three of those cards um, in that set for the, for that year. And I know one of them that was the highest graded one had a picture with him and the headband um, that had a super high comp. Uh, was almost a million bucks uh, at some time during the last few years. And then uh, the the copy that uh, that was there was um, yeah, the co copy that was there for me. I know it had some spots on it and whatever else. I actually kind of liked it more, and but it was Kobe without the headband and it was a better shot for me. And it was just kind of, you know, I'm sure I would not have, I'm not stepping up to any, any silly price tag like that for myself. But, uh, you know, this one here that I was like, hey, if I can kind of maybe take it at 20% of, of, of that comp or something else, you know, this, this is something I would never move. And it was special enough. And uh, yeah, so anyways, Adam felt everything that I told Adam on this is how I'm looking at it was like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're looking at it, right? And I'm like, oh, shoot, okay, the more you're telling me this kind of, you know, put me in that situation. But, uh, you know, for me, it's always a uh, person first before, uh, before cards, uh, you know, that's just how yeah. I am. Um, and nice. yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> Very nice. All right. So we are at 40. That whole story that Steve just told, we got, I think, one more bid came in from Hobby Champs. If you have not yet done this, we got we got well over 80 people and we only have 40 entries into this giveaway for $250 to the Just Collect eBay store. So get that in there. Hashtag hobby love. And we're going to do that draw in less than one minute. Adam does say that was one of the funnest memories in the hobby, <laughs> Steve. 
Very nice. Brendan Ryan says, no one likes to lose a bid one penny over their magic number. No, one increment even over their hobby number for sure. Justin Bode, feel that hobby love. a boy, Justin. Good to see you too, pal. All right, guys, we're going to do the draw, the hobby love draw for the second $250 gift card for Leighton Sheldon's Just Collect eBay store. One, two, three. Here we go. Draw. Let's see whose name comes up. You don't want to see your name yet. <laughs> Louie wins it. Louie, who said he doesn't win anything. So good luck, everybody. And Louie, you're going to get to meet Louie. He will be my special guest co-host tomorrow night on the PWCC Hockey Weekly Auction Ending Watch Party. Congratulations, Louie. We'll have something to talk about tomorrow as well. Louie's out of uh, Minnesota, Leighton. So Good to good to see that. Some congratulations coming in. He says, must have been rigged. Absolutely. There's nothing I can do. This is a StreamYard tool. That's all that is. But um, there we go. Louie, congratulations. That's really, really cool. Adam says, Leighton, this was super generous, man. Yeah, very nice. Very nice. Mike Double V, thank you, Leighton, for the draw. Thank you so much for doing it, says Adam. Yeah, Leighton, that was awesome, man. Thank you for 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 just spreading the love during the holiday season here in 2023. Appreciate it, man. Oh, uh, listen, uh, my pleasure. Uh, I really enjoyed being on the show, not just today, Jeremy, but all year. Steven, it was an absolute pleasure to meet you and happy holidays to everyone out there, to you, your family, and enjoy the hobby next year. Thank you. All Take right. care, Layton. Thanks, Clayton. All right. Well, that was fun and uh, nice to see that uh, – we had two different winners. That that keeps it nice and clean. Louie, you'll well, Louis, you'll reach out to Leighton, or at least we can chat tomorrow when you're on with me for the PWCC Weekly Hockey Show. Uh, that's really, really cool. All right. So, Steve, let's pick up sort of where we left off. And I wanna I wanna another thing, you know, when we when we were like, I, I know you, man, but one of the things that we chatted about was grading and how your approach to grading and graded cards has evolved uh, over your history in the hobby, you know, since grading has been a thing. Um, why don't you speak to that? How has your view of grading evolved over the past, say, 15, 20 years? So I think back in the 90s, I think grading was pretty rare and I didn't go to really any card shows or anything else. So knew that it was out there, but didn't really get it, didn't know the premiums, pricing was tougher, no internet back then. Um, evolved to a spot where I think... Um, for modern, modern RPAs, you know, it was all Beckett, Beckett, Beckett uh, when I started collecting kind of, you know, mid-2000s again. Um, PSA was uh, definitely in the background uh, for hockey, I'll say specifically. Um, and I think for me in grading, I didn't have a great story um, uh, specifically with one grader. Um, um, I think I'll leave that one alone for, for the show. Um, kind of made me really question about, um, you know, grades overall. Um, uh, and then I think I definitely saw cards at the Nationals that I was about to go buy, um, come back. Next day, you know, half a laugh uh, was a BGS 9.5. And I know that card would not have graded a six. It looked like a dog's breakfast. Um, that, that really, really, really turned me off. Um, that was probably, say, 08, 09, like late, late 2000s. Um, so I had a really bad taste in my mouth from, from, from that, um, hearing some other stories as well, too. Um, and then I think on the patch faking and everything else uh, later on, and when I started seeing cards that were slabbed um, as well, too, 
that was a pretty big turnoff for me because that's where it's 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 said. I get you're 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 grading the card itself and not the authenticity and relying on that uh, on the certification of the card. Um, but that was a turnoff for me. But there was definitely a place where I'm gonna say don't know if I'm right or not, but uh, um, coincidentally in timing, it might have been the causation, but when the larger auction houses started going, pushing grading very, very highly, as in there was a place where they they had a lot of returns for raw cards. Um, you know, they, someone would say, oh, they didn't see this well enough and things like that, that they would have returns and unfulfilled sales and transactions. I think when you had like the Goldens and PWCCs start pushing that, graded cards only we're not doing raw cards uh, anymore um that was a big you know that was a big change in the hobby as well too and i think that it, in all the right ways like that's what grading supposed to do is trying to it's trying to commoditize cards that you know hey this card in this grade will trade between this range narrowly and then in, in a lesser grade in a less range etc that made a lot of sense and it just makes it much easier for the hobby to grasp grasp onto but i think this is how i look at even if I take a look at ratings, you know, a number rating for like wines that way, you know, like it's no different from something like that, where this is someone's taste or when I love, you know, I'll talk about like a Wayne Gretzky rookies that, uh, that Jeremy certainly is uh, one of the de facto experts on. But when you can say, make up a, say, a, say a PSA eight uh, that I've seen, uh, I think was one of your copies. And I said, that's nicer than a lot of nines that I've seen as well too. And I'm like, I'm just going to go buy the card. I don't care enough about that grade. Like, um, you know, for PSA right now, centering for me is actually a huge thing. Um, I care about that very much. And I've seen the, the uh, Jeremy, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the PSA is the allowance for like the 60-40 uh, off-centered and everything else that you can still get a, you can still get a gem mint grade or something like that. But there's some allowances there that I've seen, you know, that, you know, haven't really been great uh, for me to see as well. So it's just not something I agree with. Um, and more and more, you know, I, I, I liked it, and uh, you know, I remember the first show that I did with you was picking up uh, the BGS ten uh, Crosby uh, Cup card, Cup RPA that that I have. Uh, you held that in your hands in Burbank as well too, and I just told you take a good look at it because I think it's just that good. Um, I remembered inspecting that card really heavily before wanting to make a bid on it, and for me, that one was special because after breaking so much O five O six Cup, it was you know those cards were damaged. You know, they, on average they wouldn't grade well, like nines would be a really great grade, but having something like that on, you know, the best card with a, with also the single color patch that would not have been fake. There's no reason to go fake that, um, you know, really made me step up to a card like that. And then now, yeah, that's where I kind of get to now that I'm like, you know, I've got a lot of really high grade cards. How much do I really care about those high grade cards versus if they were um, just, you know, slabbed uh, from factory? And uh, for me, I think grading plays less and less of an interest for me, just ongoing. And especially with the cards that I'm dealing with, which are just modern modern um, RPAs with serial numbers, I think that also makes a big difference. So you actually have manufactured scarcity versus grading scarcity, if you will. Yeah, uh, that, that, that makes, it makes sense to me. I, you know, I always go back to why grading came about at the beginning, which was, I believe, because we had the advent of the internet, the global economy, and people buying cards sight unseen. So are you going to trust somebody that you don't know to tell you that the cards in mint or excellent or near mint condition? Or do you want that third party graders opinion? And, um, and let's face it, I mean, cards look nice in slabs, some slabs, they look nicer than others. I'm obviously partial to the tag slab, because it is easily the, the clearest. But 
tag only grades back to 1989 for now. You know, I like when it comes to vintage cards, let's talk about vintage cards and grading for a moment, because, you know, I think you made the comment to me that grading makes common cards more scarce and all vintage cards, except for the, the, you know, except for the real short prints, like the Honus Wagners of the world are pretty common. So grading them does give you I, like you said it really well it makes common cards more scarce it doesn't make the card scarce it mm -hmm. makes the card scarce in better condition but i gotta tell you steve as a collector and i love my vintage i really personally prefer nowadays and this is just how i've evolved as a collector over the last few years i want my cards from the 1940s and the 1950s well the, the 30s the 40s the 20s i want them to have rounded corners and some toning in the border. I want them to look their age. I don't want them to be perfect. I want them to, to if they could, to tell a story. Uh, you're smiling big. Does that mean what I'm saying is resonating with you? How do you respond to that yourself? Hugely so, because uh, I'll say in the watch world, like, uh, you know, having patina where we call the imperfections of a watch, if you have something that's kind of 20s, 30s, 40s, if you have some patina on it, um, that's just through natural wear versus if you actually ended up polishing it, you're destroying value by polishing it. You're doing the same thing with cars as well, too. For vintage cars that don't have perfect paint, um, that's you know just accepted and it's just part of the character of what it is. And also for that time and that usage. Um, yeah, but some people want to go respray it all and you're destroying value by that, although it, it, it physically looks better. Um, I have a, a funny card that I ended up buying. It was one of the, the few vintage cards that I have, but it was a 1920 um, uh, Helvetia Sport uh, Reglo Enzo Ferrari card that I've never actually seen one before. And it's a, I think it's an SGC one or something like that. And it, it looks, it looks like it went through a lot. And I actually really liked it because exactly that, like I said, look, I, I've never seen a copy of this. I couldn't find any real history except uh, an Italian museum. Um, and I, I saw it for the first time and I, went after it pretty hard. And I said, this looks like what it should look like to me. And actually, I don't want a pristine version of it that way. That actually probably does less for me. So I'm in complete agreement with you. And that's why I was smiling. All right. Well, no, I, I like that. We'll talk about modern in a second. Uh, Justin Bode says grading is, is what brought me back. And I, I, I get that. I think it's just, you know, even though grading is not a perfect science, the, the human grading is not a perfect science. And even tag grading, which is automated, is striving towards perfect grading. And I think they're closer than anybody else has ever gotten, but well, that's not what this episode's about. But um, I like, you know, it's it gives you some comfort. Grading, I think, has also driven up the price of cards across the board. And it's made cards more attractive to investors, you know, not just the pure collector, but to investors as well. And then, of course, you got the PSA set registry, which drives a lot of, of grading activity as well. Brendan Ryan here says, Steve, what evolutions do you see long-term in the grading scale? Is that a question that you're, uh, you're comfortable responding to? I can try. I think the evolutions for me is it's, it's a little bit sad because for me on seeing the, I'm not going to, nothing about PSA as a company, of course, but uh, I, I really like the Beckett subgrades. That's a big thing for me. Like when I ended up, um, so a card I acquired this year, which is one of my favorite Kobe cards I have is a 1996 finest gold refractor um, that was not numbered. But that card, I have seen so many versions of that card as rare as it is, but 
they are the centering. That's a funny one because I care about centering the most and I've not really seen any that are, you know, well centered except for the one that I have. I think there's um, five copies of BGS 10 ones and, uh, and I have one of those. Um, but I appreciated knowing all of those small subgrades and that's a big thing for me. And, you know, if it's, if we get to a point where you can even have more subgrades, just the more information, the better it is. Like, wouldn't you want to know that about your card versus here's a PSA 10, but you know, you, you know, is it, is it the corners that are lacking? Is it the centering? Is it, you know, is it the edges? If you just more information is better. Uh, and uh, I think with technology and with better technology, higher resolution in the future, I think you do have opportunities like that, that could come out. Colin Murray, yeah, great comments there. Colin Murray makes a really great comment right here. He says, and it, it's in line with what you were saying, some vintage cards are tough to find center, generating scarcity, especially in inexpensive cards. That ties in exactly what you were saying, that it makes common cards more scarce. And it and it introduces this concept of, of a scoreboard and competition and trying to get, and, and status, like high-grade cards are a status symbol for a lot of people as well. For better or for worse, for collecting or investing, either way, they are cards that people are very proud of. When you have the highest, like I just sold a PSA 10 Pop 1 Connor McDavid, a blue PMG, a couple mm. of nights ago, and it went for a lot. It went for good money, more than I, a bit more than I was expecting. And it's because of the grading scarcity. But that's, there's so much value that is put towards that uh, in the hobby today. And it comes back to, I think, that ancient. That ancient bit of wisdom, or uh, you know, just the 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 suggestion to that you you've heard this in in areas outside of, in every area, not just sports cards, which is buy the best you can afford, and I think that's what this comes down to. And I've always said to that, Steve, is that well, I can't I, like so. What can I only afford one card? If 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 my whole budget is ten thousand dollars, and the one and I want ten cards, but one card is ten grand, do I do I buy that one for ten and not get the other nine? Or do I split it up and buy less than I can afford and own more cards? I like I'm a quantity over you know just one nice card kind of kind of collector. Um, I want to just sort of transition. Unless you have anything to add to that, um, what are your thoughts on what I just said? And what about you? Do you collect for profit? Do you collect as an investment? Uh, how do you look at when you spend money on your cards? How do you look at uh, that expenditure? Yeah, this is probably the most interesting one and probably more controversial one way or another. I mean, uh, I think there's enough people that uh, are in this hobby for investment, which uh, I completely respect. Some people have, uh, you know, uh, make their livelihood out of it from uh, being a, a vendor and uh, and breakers as well, too. For me, I've always looked at this hobby as just it's 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 just cardboard. There's no intrinsic value in what we're buying here. So this is it's worth what someone else is willing to go pay for it. But I've looked at, I have to look at this hobby for me as any money that I put into this hobby is money that I'm completely fine just to go wipe off the face of this earth. If, if my whole collection is worth zero, if, if I'm good with that, that's, that's where it is. And uh, that's why I guess I can look back at some of the very big swings during COVID and everything else and getting messages, good messages, bad messages and everything else in between from, uh, you know, what we've seen during the COVID swing. And for me, I just kind of shrug my shoulders and it's just what the market is. And, uh, and I accept all of that. And, uh, not rightfully to go look at from a from a point of view uh, from a point of view as leisure, I think it's fine. Um, but I certainly don't do that with <laughs> with with everything in my life. But I look at it as this is the money that I was willing to go put into the hobby, not taking anything out of it, and I'm just going to keep on recycling it. And if I want to put a little bit more in, then I do. But uh, I don't really expect to go pull anything else out. And if I got bored of whatever else, I do, and I'll get back whatever I get back. 
if it's two cents on the dollar, if it's four, four X, whatever else it is, it's going to be whatever it is. But uh, that's, that's how I look at it. Just it's, in expenditure. That's a nice, that's a nice attitude to have. It's a nice approach to take. I think, I think, you know, if it's an approach that is within your ability and your financial position, and I think a lot of people in the last few years have, have overextended. So they need, you know, they need to, you know, uh, if, 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 if not getting enough money or not being able to pay off debt to pay off the cards they bought is going to cause them to not pay rent. It's a whole other story, but everyone, that's why I always talk, I've said this a million times on, on, on this show that when you're spending money on cards, if the money amount, if the amount that you are spending is a significant amount to you, you need to consider, you need to consider what's going to happen when you get out of that card eventually, at least have it in mind. Maybe it doesn't guide all your decisions, but I think, you know, if it's the amount of money that could change your life, you need to you need to think about it. You're obviously, and you're not doing that, and I don't either. I don't think I think a lot of people don't do that, but I think we had some people that came in uh, during the the pandemic, and that is where they went. Um, Random Esports says I ordered my first tag card off of eBay last week. Very cool, Random. I hope you enjoy the slab. Tom Newman says, "What's up, Steve Ho?" Uh, Brett S says, just picked up a massive PC card, SP Authentic, Kale McCarr, Asset Young Guns. A very happy Christmas. Congratulations, Brett. Those Asset Young Guns are beautiful. 86 Collectibles says, I've started to care more about grading on vintage due to what the prior guest said, authenticity. Modern, I care more about numbered cards versus graded cards. I said earlier, we're going to come back to modern. That's exactly how I feel too. When it comes to a modern card, I don't want a card that is that has a you know a big a big scratch through it that my eyes can't ignore. I had a little bit of edge chipping, maybe it's off center a little bit. I'm good with. I'm gonna buy the card if I haven't seen one in years. I'm gonna buy it no matter what's going on with that thing because I want the card, and that's that's the the tr- that's the hunting and the collecting. Um, what about you, Steve? Yeah, I, I'm very much, I agree with that comment a lot because I think as a, you know, I noticed that what I've started gravitating towards are really quite scarce cars where I'll say they're definitely, you know, vintage probably if they're numbered and if they're, I can't say vintage for that. I'll just say maybe just kind of 90s and before rookie patch autos and kind of early 2000s, uh, you know, I, I started gravitating towards kind of 50 or less that way. Um, I think for rookie patch autos and things, that's probably as high as I go is 99. But anything else that feels special to me, it's got to be kind of 50, 25 or less. And I care so much more about that. And, you know, cards that I used to think about um, grades and all that, or I'll give you an example of uh, a recent pickup card for, for me. Um, I think prior, maybe a year ago, it probably would have changed my mind and not made me bid on that card. But it was uh, this was a 2003-2004 exquisite basketball Michael Jordan, uh, noble nameplates, uh, number one out of 25, and it graded a BGS 8.5. And I know how my mind works where I think if it was a year ago, it'd be, it's not a gold label. It's not a nine five. Don't want to touch it. And I would have much rather it just actually be raw and, you know, not, not be slapped at that point. Even if it was a BGS nine, I just, I had something within me that said it's, 9.5 9.5 gold label or bust and or it's PSA 10 or I don't want it slabbed at all. Um, and I think I had some cards that I really loved that I just wanted the auto graded and I, or if it didn't or the auto didn't grade a 10 or the card wasn't going to get a, a gem mint. I just wanted it authenticated. So slab, but just authenticated uh, just for consistency in the collection. Yeah, I, I agree with that, that I like consistency as well, although I am 
uh, willing to have a little bit less consistency nowadays. But I hear what you're saying there. Appreciate the comments. I'm uh, going to go through a few more here. Mark Santucci says, I would like my cards to have value. I don't think you're alone in that at all. Mark, Brendan Ryan says, I prefer to think of cards as a time capsule of historical nostalgia and value is secondary, but not important. Yeah, I mean, like to me, Steve, I was listening to a podcast today. I think it was The Shallow End. And he was talking about, he has six, you guys have to listen to The Shallow End podcast, by the way. And uh, Iowa Dave is the podcaster. And he was talking about, he has six questions that he asks before he purchases a card. And one of them was, I believe, if I remember it, it was like, when you look at a card, he was talking about the difference between needing a card and wanting a card. And it was like, he he, he was telling his his experience of when he looks at a card, does he really, really like get excited? What are the emotions that are stirred up in him when he looks at the card? Is it a card that he's going to want to look at over and over again or a card that he just wants to know he owns? And I, I kind of, that resonated with me, Steve, because I think about cards. I, when I'm, there are cards that I have, I have been bidding on and I, you know, it's 10, seven or 10 days away or whatever it is, whether it's on PWCC or eBay. And I, I am like for those seven or 10 days, Steve, it's like I, it's all, it's present in my mind. I'm looking at it over and over again. I'm getting so excited looking at the image of the card. Like this one here did it to me. Looking at this card just gives me a feeling like, oh, I just love it. I just love this card. I know it's just an inanimate piece of cardboard with some with some threads in it, but we love these things. I'm not going to sit here and explain why psychologically, but we do. Anyway, I loved that thought. And Brendan Ryan talks about the, the historical nostalgia. And to me, it's not just the historical nostalgia. It's also what's that feeling like when you first look at that card? Steve, have you ever had that feeling in you that you're like, I'm getting this card no matter what it takes, unless Adam Gray is also bidding on it? <laughs> <laughs> um, I definitely have. Um, I will say, because I own it now, that uh, that I, 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 because I own it now, I, I'll, I'll say it, but... I think uh, a couple of people probably, it was, we go back to 2005, 2006, uh, the cup. Um, I have two copies of uh, Alexander Ovechkin um, uh, honorable numbers out of eight. And my copy that I kept, two copies that I kept, the, the one that I kept that I was really happy with, that I really loved, four color, colors with a bright um, bronze star in the middle there. It's highest graded. It's an auto 10 and PSA 9 uh, top pop. Everything else there is perfect. But the number 8 of 8 finally surfaced. And I swear I must have been looking. I didn't know if that card was ever pulled or whatever else. And I think I saw it at one of the auction houses. And it was the, I just don't care. Like, uh, I don't care if I have to go sell, you know, if I have to go sell a couple of Ovechkin RPAs that way, I'm not kidding. I would have done it just to go get that card. Um, that that that'll be the equivalent of like a Kobe Bryant number of pieces from 0304 exquisite uh, to give uh, other viewers kind of some context. Uh, it did didn't matter to me, and I and I have it now, and and you know I look back on it and I'm like I would pay I would easily pay double that all day long and then not think about it. Um, you know whatever it is, um, I just had to have it when it when it came out. That was that was the last one I felt that way, and then uh, for me the other one was actually that that Kobe that I mentioned. Um, I don't know much about, uh, I know enough to be dangerous, but when I first saw that um, 
it's a, people are familiar, it's the 1996 finest gold refractor, um, Kobe, which was, you know, the one, uh, it's got the errors on top um, on, on the writing and it's his rookie card. And for me, something about that pose, thinking about, you know, errors at that time when that card was created in 96, I didn't collect back then, but if I look back on it and just saying, hey, if this card came out at that point in time, you know, you're thinking about, hey, are you going to be one of the great ones? And, you know, uh, ex post, we know obviously that he is, you know, in that GOAT conversation, et cetera, and the legacy that he leaves behind. And it just looked like heavenly, like it, it, everything about that card was just like, okay, this is the best copy that I've seen by far. Um, there's five of them around. Um, that was the other one I just said, I don't care. And I, I got a little bit scared because I said, uh, you know, I, I saw what those comps were back in the crazy days and everything else, but I was probably willing to go pretty close to that that comp and uh, obviously won it for significantly cheaper than that and was super happy with it. And it's just, yeah, everything about that card, I think for me was just art because it doesn't have, it's not serial numbered. It's not, uh, it doesn't have an autograph. It doesn't have a, a patch, but and I didn't know, like other people can tell me about Topps Chrome and that's the one to go for value wise. And I'm like, yeah, I look at that card, that card doesn't do it for me. So I get what the market says, but you know, didn't care. Um, this was the one that spoke to me and that's one I, I chased and went after. Diamond card says, love that card. Random Esports says, comp, comp, comp. Yeah, there's a lot, lots of comp talk, lots of comp talk constantly in the hobby. Uh, okay. Uh, Diamond card collector here says, do you think it's right to be charged $13,000 to put a card in an authentic holder with a 10 auto? It turned me off a bit, honest, a bit, honestly. And I mean, the only thing I'll say to that is, you know, he's talking about PSA who charges based on the value of your card. And, you know, I know a lot of people don't like that. They do it because they have to fund their guarantee that they offer on cards that are, you know, come back as, as not good in the future or what have you. Um, but the other thing I'll say to that, I'm not here to make excuses for them, but I'll also just say that you have options. You know, they're not the only grading company out there. Uh, but if you want to access the benefits of PSA, you have to pay their price. It's really as simple as that. Uh, tip of the mitt, good evening to you. Merry Christmas as well. Uh, and good to have you here. Um, okay, Steve, I want to go on and talk about sort of as the last as the last topic today, and I just see left nut in, in Instagram says big costing keeps me away from grading with PSA. Well, you know, that's depends on the value of the card you're sending them really, I think is, is, is what that is. Um, you, you mentioned to me that you have rules or priorities in, in, in how you collect six of them. And I found them to be really interesting. And I think people would find them to be interesting and i share some of these rules we've talked about a couple already but you have i think you gave them to me in order there are six of them uh do you have them handy and can you just kind of read them off one through six and then let's go through them in a bit more detail and see if we have any questions from the chat about them um and before you do, I want to just bring up the professor's comment right here. He says, Steve used the word uh, creative. Perhaps some cardboard is actually art, but we are not amplifying this. Um, you know, there is a movement, professor, uh, and a, like a narrative, if you will, that I that has been prevalent in social media now, at least the, the circles that I'm, you know, the content I'm consuming, that cards are considered to be like our generation's art form. And 
I agree with that. I mean, I, I only want to own cards that I love the looks of. I mean, there are some vintage cards that I will own because they're like a Howie Morenz rookie, although it's from 1923, black and white. It doesn't have all the bells and whistles. It's beautiful in its own right, but it's it's not shiny. I want to own cards that I love to look at, and I do love to look at that one. Um, and I think there is a movement towards cards being considered art. Um, Steve, anything you'd like to add to that discussion before we switch over to your six priorities? Yeah, I, I actually do like that a lot because I have I have a few friends that are pretty high-end art collectors. And when I tell them about these sports cards and I've actually, and they they kind of look at it as not abstract and, and too much connected to reality and maybe commercialism, I'll stay away from all that. But what they when I showed them some of the more, you know, uh, explaining them to, you know, uh, for example, I think uh, it was actually on your show that I pulled one of my my, my favorite cards that uh, that I owned. Uh, that's the 2020 um, Topps Dynasty F1 uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, uh, autograph flag patch, uh, number 404 for his card number. Um, that was the number one uh, uh, card want on my list out of that whole uh, whole every bit. So, yeah, still uh, so one of my favorite things. But when I was explaining the significance of this card to me, to a couple of my uh, my art friends over at my house over a couple of glasses of wine they're like oh you are collecting art like what are you talking about cards and i and i was and that was the first time that i even kind of blended art with cards and all that and they're just like oh we get it and now now you're just getting picky about the autograph and now you're you know the, like all these factors about you know the specific foil used when we talk about um you know color matching of specific cards to specific serial numbers to everything else this is the same art critic that, you know, is actually, that's how they look at art. Um, there's a lot of these, there's a lot of similarities there where, yeah, I, I, I honestly believe that's what it is. Like, we're not just passionate about cards and the hobby. Like, this is art to us. Like, whatever it is, it's beautiful. And it's something that's, you know, that's, it's, it's a beautiful creation. That's why we're, that, that's why all of us are here. And that's why your watches are watching. And that's why the hobby is as big as it is. Right, because we want to look at art is meant to be hung on the walls and looked at. Cards are meant to be looked at, even though oftentimes they sit in our closets, uh, bank vaults, wherever. But I know that people often, you know, or we take pictures of them and scans and we look at them that way. But they are meant to be looked at. And then, we, you know, you mentioned all the different sort of criteria or, or features of a card that comprise art. When it's a memorabilia card, you've got the patches or the piece of stick or the piece of glove mm -hmm. or whatever it is. And... There's different versions of them because they all come from a different piece of that piece of memorabilia. And then we people are always upgrading the looks of a certain card. You're upgrading the piece of uh, uh, the piece of art that you're going to be looking at with your own eyes on a regular uh, basis. All right, back now to your uh, priorities. But before before we do, we have another comment. I just want to answer this one quickly from Jordan Riker. Steve, do you still have your Lewis Hamilton 2024 for flag oh. patch? I'll go a little bit further than that, Jordan. Um, so I managed to go acquire all of the four of fours, which is the Lewis Hamilton car number across that whole dynasty bit. So I own the, I wish I had it here today, Jeremy, with me, but it's in, uh, it's, it's in the bank vault uh, as I'm leaving for vacation soon. But uh, that's, uh, so I have the nameplate four of four from a 2020 dynasty F1. Um, and then I also have the zipper, which uh, Carvin showed uh, last time that he had in San Diego that, uh, that is my possession as well. So those three are in my in uh, in, in a bank vault. Um, so yes, <laughs> he still has it. He still has it. All right, your priorities. List them off, please. Read them off to us, and uh, everybody, pay attention because this is interesting. And I'm sure a lot of you share some of these priorities, maybe all of them. Let's see, Steve. Over to you. 
Sure, I'll, I'll, I'll take these a little bit more, more slowly. So the first one for me uh, is really focusing on rookie year auto game use memorabilia, if it exists uh, for a specific uh, athlete that, that, that you're collecting. I think, and if there is no specifically uh, game use memorabilia, then I would just go for auto only. Um, uh, and maybe for an example of that would be uh, anything from Steph Curry. And uh, I, I, I think during his year that way, um, you know, that might be an example there where I've seen national treasures not be game used on, uh, on the RPA. And at that point, I'm just very happy just to go have a very nice hard signed auto for me at that point. Um, and uh, yeah, and then I think for, if it's for kind of legends and, you know, kind of prior to having autographs and patches, if there's anything more limited. Um, and then also I think that's where some grading might start to play uh, in for me. But as we kind of go down the scale, um, that's kind of how I look at it, but really focusing on rookie year game use memorabilia with auto first and then auto only, and then some something else that makes it scarce, probably serial number at that point if it's before that. Um, and if not, then it is, then it would be um, slab scarcity. Uh, next one for me, <laughs> a really expensive lesson of uh, no more sticker autos. I'm pretty done with that. Um, but the one I did pick up was uh, because, uh, I'll just quick aside, was uh, was the 2005-2006 uh, Ilya Kovalchuk um, base auto patch one of one. Um, that's a sticker auto, but I had that card for a good number of years as one of the largest Kovalchuk collectors. And then I got out of the hobby and that was one I wish I kind of held on to. And I saw it the other day and I'm just like, just going to go close my eyes and bite and tuck it away. And, 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 and just also just kind of a, I, the sticker will bother me forever. But uh, again, there's exceptions to all rules. Second rule, no sticker autos anymore. <laughs> uh, third one for me, this one's a tougher one, but uh, photo shoot cards. Uh, we go back to 05, 06, uh, um, you know, um, uh, sorry, 06, 07, the year after um, inaugural cup. It was all photo shoot. And for me, I've never, one of the most beautiful looking cards I had was 0607 uh, Evgeny Malkin Cup Foundations uh, auto patch out of five. And they were all three colors and it was such a gorgeous card. And I, and sure, it's not, it's, 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 it's definitely not a giant card or anything else, but it felt, it had all the feelings and look and appearance and everything of a ginormous card. But every time I turned around and I looked at it in photo shoot, just, it never stuck. So yeah, I'm pretty done with uh, photo shoot cards and uh, even worse, I think, uh, yeah, I, I mentioned to you that I um, was thinking about chasing down a, a larger uh, basketball rookie from uh, I think 2021 um, National Treasures. And I saw the back of that and it was, uh, so I'm gonna get the quote wrong, but it was something to the effect of, you know, uh, not uh, attached material is not associated with any event, any game, any player and everything else. And it was like, whoa, well, this might as well be manufactured at that point. So, so what is it, right? Yeah, exactly. So, third rule: no photo shoot, and if there's no 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 good certification, don't want it uh, in the PC. Uh, fourth one for me. This was a more interesting one. Was uh, sticking with top brands. Um, you know, there's a lot of really you can get you know mid end product, lower end product, but you can have very rare serial numbers. But for me, I've never ended up keeping any of those. So, you know, the cards that I really do keep in my, in my collection on the modern side is, you know, cup slash exquisite, you know, if it's flawless eminence, something to, you know, uh, present like, but it's gotta be really kind of of those top mainstream brands for, for me. Like, um, I, I like, 
yeah, I, I think sticking with those and that notoriety for me was always something that I see more and more of. And um, yeah, I, I think that's just having strong brands and following strong brands within the hobby. I don't think I've, I've gone wrong with that. So um, yeah, uh, number four, stick with top brands, um, stick with top brands. Um, number five for me is, uh, yeah, um, really not, uh, not really into the, the vintage stuff. Um, for me, I'm really, you know, I have, I think three vintage cards of, uh, of some higher value, but, uh, you know, I think unnumbered cards that are just dependent on grading specifically to go drive their value is not interesting to me. Um, not at this moment with where grading is that way. I gotta, I gotta ask you though, because you didn't like you, you, what you said there was cards that whose value is driven by grading are not of interest to you does that but but wouldn't you also then in order to not collect them have to just not have an interest in those kinds of cards like do you have any interest in a in a, a gordy howe or a mickey mantle or uh terry bradshaw or like any any like vintage dr j wilt chamberlain do you not have interest in those players are you more a modern collector or yeah how, how do you how do you uh reconcile yeah. that it's, it's interesting. I think I'm definitely more of a modern collector because I think for, for myself, I will say the athletes that I grew up watching and, you know, that's why it's, it's Gretzky for me was the, when I was watching uh, his career uh, growing up. Um, I like having that sentiment for me, for cards specifically. I can appreciate all the history from the hows, the ors, everyone else uh, before that, but that's more of me reading up on it and treating it as more of a historical item. And I don't have that. I don't have the... I don't have a, a more active passion, if that makes sense, versus more of a passive appreciation. Um, so I think that's also what what, what drives that as well. Um, I do have a few cards that are, yeah, uh, certainly vintage, but it's more for, yeah, I'd say passive appreciation and uh, historical reference at that point. And, you know, I'm all about kind of putting parameters on your collecting. And if someone's parameter is, I am not collecting vintage cards, however you define that, you know, 1989 or before, or 70, whatever it is, I respect that because you're just putting, you're being disciplined and you're putting some, again, some standards across how you're collecting. And so I respect that, but I also think that, and I know you, that you will make exceptions to that rule. And I think we are allowed to, to have our own rules, our own priorities, and then make exceptions for them. So they're not necessarily rules as much as they are guidelines. And, uh, and we, yeah, priorities. I like how you use the word priorities. Okay, so your your fifth one was, was really... Uh, no vintage unnumbered card. You don't want cards whose value is driven by grading, which is all of the basic flagship product cards nowadays, like Young Guns, like Prism Silvers, like Tops Update. Uh, all these things are really, because they're so common, they're making tens of thousands of them. The yeah. only way to, the, the main way to derive value from them is to have them in a grade, you know, whether it's a, a 10 from a, you know, a BGS, a PSA, a TAG, an SGC, or it's to uh, or it's to find other cards to collect that are whose value is not driven by by grade, and that's what you and I both like. So that was number five. You want to go on? Unless you have a response to that, let's go on to number six. Yeah, uh, number six for me is an is an interesting one because uh, I, I <laughs> it was actually Layton that mentioned uh, uh, like Luca rookie. So I think I I picked up three Luca Panini flawless uh, rookies. Um, the only one that I kept were not the two BGS 95s one. It was actually the one that was the most, the most, uh, the highest print run. It was number 25 out of 25 vertical 
And the only reason I kept it and I paid up for it because it was not graded and it had the original tape and the seal on it. So it's kind of funny to me when I realize I'm like, hey, you know what? Maybe I got into it a little bit too much. But the one that I actually wanted to keep for myself was the one that was factory sealed. That meant so much more to me than even a, the two BGS95 copies that I did have in, uh, I think I had a Ruby one uh, that was out of 15 and then another, uh, I think a Stars, uh, a Ruby Stars, stars. yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, it, uh, I'm going to forget exactly which, but it was from the Flawless pro product as well. Really great and beautiful, but uh, yeah, I just actually didn't want to see the grading label. I actually just wanted it plain, just plain seal and plain tape. That was it. So um, I think for me, yeah, the preference of if I can get a copy of a card that I know comes with a specific factory seal, I want that seal well intact, um, you know, versus one that's actually graded. That would be my preference. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that I, I find I hear what you're saying. I find it interesting, and maybe I'll evolve into that. But for now, I'm not. I don't like. I don't like card, and there's a reason. I don't say I don't like the cards. I don't love cards that come in uh, the card. The card companies one touch with their sticker, keeping it closed. Oftentimes, you know why, Steve? Because because when I'm buying that card from somebody, they they're. They're, I'm buying it at a card show and they've had it at a, at a few shows. Maybe they've had it for a few weeks, months, or years. And it's in their, their four row box with other cards and there's no sleeve over it. So the, the one touch gets all scratched up and you're SOL. I mean, what can you do? You, ha you have a great card in a scratched up one touch and you can't take it out because you've got that Panini label or Tops label or Leaf label over the top. And now you're stuck with a card in a, in a one touch that is scratched up. So I find that, that how do you how do you like don't doesn't that bother you and that's the card because you, you're laughing as if you know exactly what i'm talking about i i do and i i have had three cards now over the last little i'll say over the last couple of months now um that were i think a panini eminence cards um uh, on the basketball side that i really love what's inside i just could not pull the trigger because of you know it's all it's all in oem tape but it was all scratched up because I know I would never open it up. So yeah, to your, to your point, it does really bother me, but I think it's really up to us at that point, just to go keep things in a, you know, a team bags. Right. I, I don't understand how hard that is for people, but I've also seen, you know, people put it and uh, I'll stay off of this, but uh, I've, I've definitely seen people put in, you know, every card that I, I transact, I put in a brand new one touch. I mean, look, these things are a couple of dollars. And if it's, if the card's worthwhile, then, then you go do it. But I've definitely bought cards that are well, well, well into five digits that people are using one touches that I would throw away because they were just in that bad of a condition. But I guess they're doing their job, uh, you know, to each their own. Well, Brendan Ryan makes a good point. You can use headlight scratch removal cream to buff out those pesky one touch scratches. And he's right. Scratch X 2.0 is one that I've actually used. And I'm surprised I even didn't think of that as I was speaking to it because he is definitely right about that. The other thing for me is that I just I don't have one touches in my collection. I either have graded slabs or I mm -hmm. keep my cards in top loaders with a top loader sleeve over it to keep the top loader clean. And mm -hmm. uh, because it's just lighter and I can keep more cards in my boxes that way. Um, that's mm -hmm. how I that's how I keep them. Uh, so those were the six priorities. The number six was you prefer ungraded cards. Best is the OEM seal mm -hmm. and uh, things like, as you mentioned earlier, flawless eminence dynasty lines. So those are those are the, the your six priorities 
your six guidelines. We had some comments come in about them. So let's uh, let's go and have a look. First of all, I want to say good evening to you, peeps. Good to see you. Brendan Ryan says, generational perspective. Nothing wrong with collecting what you know and love. 100% agree with that. Sean Red says, Steve is collecting what he likes, and that's the way to go. And that includes making exceptions from your guidelines if you need to every so often. Mark Santucci says, there's no wrong way to collect. No wrong cards. Well, I think, I think, I don't, okay. The only thing I say to that, to Mark's comment here, is that we often, as as hobbyists, acquire cards that we know that we then realize I don't want these cards and I got to go and I'm going to move them because they don't fit into my collection like I thought they would. And I think that I'm not I'm not saying anything that is contrary to what Mark is saying, but what I am saying is, you know, if you're listening to this and you're an you're an amateur collector, put some time into thinking about what you're buying maybe, you know, ask questions of people that you know, try to try to minimize the, the damage you're going to do to your wallet by making sure that what you're buying is something that you're going to love. And I, as a very experienced collector, this still happens to me every so often, you know, you kind of can get, we can get carried away. And I'm trying, I find I'm, I'm trying to be more disciplined um, all the time. And, and even right now, uh, Skeppy says serial number cards and patch or auto cards have their own set of major flaws. I, I think they're more about issues uh, in fact, modern cards are subject to significantly more problems than vintage cards driven by grade. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think I think vintage cards have a set of problems that is really major, i.e. Uh, alteration and counterfeiting, whereas modern cards are harder, you know, especially technology cards and, you know, cards that are just not simple cardboard uh, that have holograms on them. I think they have a set of problems, but I don't think they're significantly more. I also don't think they're either as significant but they are serious nonetheless, like the card, same card coming out with the same serial number or the wrong patch in the wrong card or fake patches or, or, or rep- patch sw- patches that have been swapped out for nicer patches. There are a serious, there is a set of issues there, uh, but that'll be for another, another discussion. I'm sure we've covered them all on the show over the past close to four years. Um, the professor says here that Josh of the Hockey Cards Gong Show and Billy Celio, product manager for Upper Deck the Cup, Mentioned in the new release, a Gordie Howe insert with memorabilia from a glove. Does this resonate positively? Of course it does. Any game used memorabilia of Gordie Howe uh, in a card is going to resonate very strongly with the the hobby. Steve, what do you think? Uh, absolutely so. I think that's where hockey, I, I appreciate creativity from product. And uh, whether you like it or not, that's up to you. But it's an option for you to go take a look at and uh, any hobbyist. So. When I remember the first time for hockey, seeing like the uh, Jeremy, you would know far better than I would, but it's uh, there was one that was like almost like you could see the laces of the skate. Um, I remember seeing that the first time, and I think they started using you know various fight straps to you know blades of the skate and everything else. Like I think these are all just really cool innovations, and uh, it's, I'm gonna sound cheesy like like an upper deck certification, but this is getting us closer to the game, right? So I think I'm all for all of that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. If that memorabilia is certified, certified well, and is actually what everybody says and thinks it is, then I'm all for it. I love that kind of card. I'm, I am right now reading, like I just got some cards uh, in, in the mail recently or via courier. And I can tell you that I'm, I'm scrutinizing the language on the back of the card almost as much as I'm scrutinizing how much I love the front of the card. It's so mm-hmm. important to me. And 
you know, we're unfortunately, sometimes you just don't have many options. You have to take a leap of faith at times. And that's where there are issues that Skeppy mentioned earlier. There are issues uh, with that as well. Do we really know where this memorabilia comes from? Um, no, we can only take the words on the back of the card. And that's why with the with the verbiage being so vague, it's almost like they don't know what they have half the time. This The, the, the memorabilia on the front of this card is not associated with any event, uh, game, or, or I don't know what else they say, you know, player. It's like so, so, but it's authentic. So, I mean, my shirt is authentic. Like, you know, my jeans that I'm wearing, they are authentic, authentic denim. Like, what does that mean? It's I'm, I'm getting more and more frustrated with that language and it's causing me to talk about it a lot more and to, uh, because it, it's a genuine like issue for me. Mm-hmm. Like, tell us what you have, tell us who's certifying it and tell us, you know, really what it is because did the, you know, this game use memorabilia is certified by or is guaranteed by Panini. We see all the time. Well, what player, what player, wore that like is it the player on the front of the card or is it somebody whose game worn jersey sells for 300 bucks versus lucas who sells for 50k and i don't know i'm throwing these numbers out out, out in the air who who wore it like that's my concern who wore the jersey that that memorabilia came from exactly uh brett s says great insight and discussion thank you brett sean red appreciate loving all the hockey talk diamond card collector thanks for being here merry christmas uh, Ed Seat says it was nice when Donruss would put a picture of the jersey the pieces came from on the back of the card. Like that's ideal. That is unbelievable. That 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 comfort that you get from that is just wonderful. And I would love to see them go back to something like that. All right, Steve. Um, do you have any cards you have on your desk you want to show us before we wrap up this episode? Sure. Uh, not not too many with me as I usually don't keep too much uh, with me. But I, I had a couple of since you know on topic and everything else. But uh, um, I'll, I'll show you a couple. I uh, had a for myself. Uh, been a been a big McLaren fan. Um, I think I've just got re- more recently got into uh, their their cars as well too. And just you know, it was for for myself. Just didn't uh, didn't dislike without actually trying. And then I I, I tasted, loved it. Uh, you know, and uh, now big fans of uh, their F one team. So I think when Topps Dynasty came out for me, it's always fun. I think you have a bit of this as well too. But when you can when you can pick up a card of the right logo and then and then you find another card that is the matching logo i think that's really cool so i did that with one of the mclaren principles so these guys up so side here side here so that's kind of the mclaren logo itself with both of them for uh seidel there so these are all out of 10 but yeah like i like my factory tape there so these aren't upgraded but yeah, but it was, it's cool to just go have, you know, the logo itself and go find uh, neat pieces like that. So um, got a couple of other uh, Dynasty cards, uh, you know, that I, that I kind of kept with me here. Um, so here's these, the, are, these are Topps Dynasty F1. Just for people who are listening on audio later, this next one. Yeah, let's see this. So here's a George Russell. That's a 404 uh, flag patch. Uh, Beautiful. That's there. Um, it's also one of my favorite cards because this goes along with the, the Lewis Hamilton that I pulled on, on your show. Um, so that 4-4 being Lewis Hamilton's number and uh, George being the, the next, uh, you know, the, the hopefully uh, the next up-and-comer with Lewis. I, I, I like that 4-4 connection. So that was important for me to go have that specific one. And then uh, for me, uh, this was a card that I thought about and I have it because I thought about moving it. And every time I look at it, I really can't. Um, you know, it's for me. I've always been a big Alex Albon fan as uh, as well too. But uh, 
This one I ended up uh, pulling, but this is a this is a gold one of one. Um, it's got the Aston Martin logo on it, and just his autograph, and with that gold and with that Aston Martin logo, like I, there's too much there that every time I'm like, hey, maybe I don't know where it goes, but I look at it, and I'm just happy. So. Just don't know how else to explain that card. <laughs> that's me. I hear what he said. I look at it and I'm happy. That's the that's what that's the power of cards. Some cards. Yeah. And then uh, last one that I that I do uh, that I do have. Uh, you've held the PSA ten version of of this card, and then uh, I found this card, and uh, this is an interesting one for me. I'll hold it up first. So here's uh, always one of my favorite cards is a uh, is a Crosby uh, RPA here, but uh, this is a this is a PSA ten uh, PSA eight. Uh, with a 10 auto, uh, the autos were were tougher as well too. But uh, the grades, this is a pop three, uh, the only three colored one. Um, there's less than 20 of them that are actually authentically three colored uh, when they came out. Unlike uh, McDavid, which I think has only I think 95% of uh, that that print run is pretty much three colors for for his uh, RPA. But it was one card for me that uh, when you, uh, focus is not go, going to be good enough. But if you can see, oh shoot. If you can see the back and how good that cert is, I don't know if you can read that, Jeremy. Yeah, we won't be able to read it, but, but uh, if, maybe I'll just re read it out loud. Congratulations. You have received a game-used patch card personally autographed by Sidney Crosby. On the front of this card is an authentic piece of patch from a jersey worn by Sidney Crosby in an official NHL game. Like that's when you have something like that, that's 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 all I need just to go have a big check mark and uh just really happy with that. So my my yeah. only issue with that whole thing is the word congratulations. I think instead of it saying congratulations, it should say thank you. It should be mm -hmm. them thanking you for spending your hard-earned money on their product versus congrats congratulations. You just spent a lot of money on one of our cars. It, it's funny. I say that tongue in cheek because we're often congratulating each other for our big pickups, and and that is uh that is pretty fun. Uh, Mark Santucci wants to know, do you have any Patrick Kane in your collection? I, I do. And for me, that's my favorite card. I wish I had that one here with me. And uh, I and I think uh, we found each other. It was a Dylan that found me on Instagram. And it was a this was a card that I always wanted. I did. I heard it was around Vancouver and in Canada or something else. I never saw a picture of it. And then I think I acquired it actually a year ago. It was around Christmas time. It was the last transaction I did. And that's the 0708 ultimate uh rookies uh ultimate rookie patch auto one of one uh that had a psa 10 auto that i that i got to graded on that card and it's just a stunning just if you're on, if you go to my instagram you'll you'll see that card it's just such a stunning card and that was a but yeah that's the one i don't need another patrick kane card because i'm just that happy with that one and Steve's Instagram is right under his name, everybody. Mm -hmm. If you want to follow him on Instagram at Mr. Fosh, F-O-S-F-O-C-H. Uh, we're going to wrap up right away here, Steve, but very quick. Louis wants to know, and if you can answer quickly, how do you feel about team principal cards mm -hmm. from F1 products? I think they're actually pretty underrated. Uh, for the right principles, I think they're pretty underrated. And uh, I used to think that, but I've seen... Uh, the Total Wolves, uh, I've, I've seen definitely the, the Christian Horners have really stepped up in, uh, in their pricing too, where they're kind of mid-pack with all, if you put all of the drivers, they're probably mid-pack to, I'd say, higher than the 50% tile. So I think they're actually getting some respect, but they have some of the coolest patches. Um, so I wouldn't discount them. I think those are good dark horses if you want to go keep something for the longer term and uh, you know pick something up at a reasonable price. Because I think the the pricing of six box cases uh, of 2020, um, uh, F1 Dynasty is about somewhere between 25 and 30 grand. So, you know, you get six, you get six cards in all of that. 
if you can go pick one up for a few hundred dollars, I think you're doing super, super well. So, yeah. Uh, Sean Red, a Merry Christmas to you. Mark Santucci, appreciate the five out of five star ranking on the episode. Uh, B. Cox says, I have the Leclerc 404 flag patch. I feel like I'm in good company now. Thanks for sharing all your stories. Great episode. Thank you, B. Cox. Mookie Chilson says, the congratulations on the card bothers me too. Are they doing me a favor? No, I paid for it. Mookie, that's exactly my point. Exactly. I paid my hard-earned money for it. You know, I don't mind being congratulated by my fellow collectors. But for that company to congratulate me, no, thank me. Thank me for putting my money into your product. Mookie, we're on, we're, we're on the same team on that one. Yankees fan, happy holidays to you. Thank you so much for being here. Louie loves the principal cards. Brett S., yes. thank you. Congratulations in quotes on a great show. Jeremy and Steve, thank you, Brett S. Steve, I want to say thank you to you for joining us. This was worth the two-hour mark. This went by, this flew by. Really fun <laughs> show. Great discussion. Thanks for bringing your experiences and your your insights and your your guide your guidelines uh, to the show. Thank you, Mike Double V. Merry Christmas to you and everybody else out there. Steve, final words to you, and then this episode is over. Wow, um, you know, final words to me feels feels like a lot. Um, I'd say even as I think I've known a lot of people that have always looked to me for direction that way, and and I, I laugh at that because I'm not sure. I I think I'm a you know, I think having those guidelines for me and the six guidelines and the kind of driving the show was important because really kind of, it did take me 20 years to get to where I am to actually have much more confidence into that versus, and I'll be very happy to admit that where, you know, when there were cards that were, oh, hey, there's, it's so limited in this grade or whatever else. And I got suckered into it. I just, I went up and I paid for it. And I'm like, did I actually really want that? Or is that what the market is telling me? And I think, you know, I, my best advice to everyone is, be true to yourself, as as other people mentioned. There's no wrong way to collect unless it's just not being true to what you want and what you value. Yeah, that's that's really well said. All right, guys, and with that, well, thank you, Joe Perot. Good to see you. Uh, that's it, guys. We are back next Saturday. Brian Gray, former Leaf CEO, will be back. Always exciting shows when Brian is on. I'll be back tomorrow night with special guest co-host Louie, who was in the chat and won one of the giveaways tonight. Will be joining me for the mm-hmm. weekly PWCC. Hockey auction ending watch party episode. That's it, guys. With that, this episode of Sports Cards Live is over. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.